Hips or lips? That's right, Carlo. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Hips or lips? God, I mean, do I have to choose? I mean, yeah, you have I, to. Yeah, and you also have to declare what size you are. Okay. Party uh, size. <laughs> this all yeah. related to what we're going to talk about. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I'll go with fun size. Let's go fun okay. size. Yeah. <laughs> you clearly haven't seen the movie Cruising, Steve, have you? <laughs> no, that's on. That's yeah, on. The, add it to the list, baby. Oh, uh, it's so funny because Al Pacino's character in Cruising is named Steve. Oh, of course. Wait, yeah. Were we going to watch Cruising with with was it with Jade or what? Yes, with Amanda. Okay, cool. Uh, it's definitely with Jade. Yeah, that that that's her forte. Yeah, <laughs> she she she's seen that movie more times than anybody else I know. So all right, well, we have to hit her up. Her, but for sure, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's almost uh, around that time too of spooky season. I I feel oh, like you know we're 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 barely into August, but I already feel like I'm getting fall vibes for some reason. Yeah, it's right around the corner. But yeah, but you know. Summer of Anger has maybe hit hit the crescendo over the last right. couple of weeks with the Montgomery, Alabama uh, riverboat incident. Riverboat incident that's Party. been memed and painted <laughs> over. Shout out to all the people. Shout out to the chairs. Shout out to folding chairs, dude. <laughs> yeah, dude, huge comeback. Yeah, yeah like man. I think my favorite t- uh, X tweet. Yeah, so X now that it's switched to X, is it an X comment? I, I think they call it posts. They just call them posts. Yeah. All right. So the latest X post that, that, that I saw that was underneath, you know, all all of that mayhem was that uh, that white people are are, are going to start training against chairs, and that I really liked. <laughs> That's ridiculous, man. Oh, but yeah, but man. I'm happy that people are angry. There, there's a quote I heard that uh, when it, and I forget which, you know, where this comes from, but it's you know, it, it's not my own. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. When it gets hot. It gets hot, and so <laughs> okay. so there's a chance that summer yeah. of anger that 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 it might actually be every summer, and so it might just be like mm-hmm. something we just stumbled into. But yeah, I'm I'm happy it's continuing. But you are right. I think we've we've gone over the hill. We're starting mm-hmm. to you know autumn's around the corner, and you know what that means, yep. man. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's the best time. It's time to rewatch over the garden oh, wall. The garden wall, fire it up. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Um. But yeah, I guess also uh, it's funny. I mean, you dub this term. You have your hashtag and everything. But oh, yeah, yeah I, I've always been kind of familiar with the concept because of a movie. It's you know Spike Lee's "Do the Right Thing." Mm-hmm. You know that is like a quintessential summer of anger movie. Oh. You know, <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, the reason why I, I began with. Um, mm. Uh, with a quote from Cruising and then, yeah, yes. potentially having Jade back. She was actually one of the first people I thought of. Uh, we have some uh, some movie food news. Yesterday's stories today. It's the movie food news. Yeah, Carlo, what you got? I mean, I All right. It's, it's, so um, this, yeah, this is not exactly like a, a factual um, report. It's more kind of an Andy Rooney editorial mm, I, I would like say this. I like that yeah yeah so um uh yeah a, another giant has fallen and a very appropriate summer of anger too uh oh, yeah. because he was a very angry man <sighs> so angry. uh yeah nicknamed Hurricane Billy um <laughs> William Friedkin passed away oh. uh this week this past week Oh, um, so sad yeah man um I mean he's 87 so he was he was up there and like, actually, you know, I've I've been kind of pouring over all his stuff recently because of, 
just even like his you know his speaking appearances and uh, his podcast appearances because he was he was a legendary interview you know he was mm, so good and no doubt um, you know this year is actually um, the Exorcist's fiftieth uh, anniversary and and what a way to disrespect it by coming out with another like reboot. Yeah, directed hell, by David dude? Gordon Green, your boy David Gordon Green. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll give I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. DGG. Like, is there is there going to be like a romantic interlude in the middle? Because then, oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got to have one. And this one might be lesbian too because of the two girls. <laughs> um, but lesbian, lesbian. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's the way that they they slap a classic in the face by doing another pointless. <laughs> And, reboot and remake by... would have hated that right like oh no absolutely i mean yeah i was talking about these these legendary uh interviews and speaking appearances he just shits on all the sequels and he's never yeah. seen them that's yeah. even the funniest thing yeah, he's just like kid. yeah but and the 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 irony is like you know his his co-writer the guy who wrote the original novel of um the exorcist william peter blatty he directed the third one you know, and Ooh. some people actually like that one. You know, people like. Uh, I kind of want to give it a shot. I, yeah, I would too. Yeah, but I, I, I definitely want to. Re- I mean, especially now, I want to revisit um, the Exorcist, and you know, we're yeah. talking about the fall time. That I think that might be ripe for. Yeah, maybe we can do one, one, two, and three. You know, Ooh. Uh, yeah. two is fascinating to me as well because you know it's directed by John Borman, who's cat hat also had a really weird career oh. in Hollywood. And yeah, that's the thing with Friedkin. Okay, I, I should also just mention that I heard this news very appropriately from friend of the show Brandon. Um, oh, shout out Brandon! Yeah, his first appearance on our show was a William Friedkin show uh, episode. We we covered uh, "To Live and Die in L.A." and it's too bad great you one. missed that yeah. one, Steve, yeah, because you know, I mean, uh, the more I think about it, like yeah, "To Live and Die in L.A." really is one of Friedkin's best mm-hmm. films. And mm-hmm. of course, you know, we love covering L.A. And that was one of the movies that was actually shit on in, um, <laughs> in in Los Angeles plays right. itself, but um, no, it's actually a really great movie. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I've just been kind of uh, somebody uploaded uh, Friedkin's uh, like entire um, like memoir, which he reads himself, by the way, the audiobook. It's on oh. YouTube. Yeah, and it, nice. it's probably like. I don't know how many hours each part it's in nine parts and it's two hours each part. So I would say it's like 18 hours, maybe 20 even mm-hmm. <laughs> to listen to the whole thing. Um, but yeah, it's like uh, the thing with it is that it starts off pretty kind of monotonous and he kind of reads it that way too. He's he's not like the fiery, the same fiery guy. Cause I mean, he's obviously probably sitting in a studio and doing several takes for him mm-hmm. to just get the, the bits right. Um, yeah. Compared to like his interviews, it's not as you know, um, I guess, entertaining in a way um, because of that way. And then you know his his biography is it reads like you know the the struggle, and then suddenly you know it's just like everything aligned. But even like when things aligned, like there was still a struggle within it. Like I'm at the the French Connection part now, mm-hmm. and it's amazing how many parallels like um, French Connection, the making of French Connection, had with the making of The Godfather. That like it, oh. it just was always on the verge of falling apart, and like you know, both filmmakers had to fight tooth and nail to get their movie made, and you know, um, nice. uh, and and then just it winning Best Picture like mm. erased all of that, and then you know, it was a big break for both directors. Obviously, you know, it mm-hmm. made their careers, 
and you know um freaking had you know that that run in the 70s where basically after french connection he got to make whatever he wanted um but yeah it was like that just all the the fights and all that it's fascinating to to hear it and to hear him retelling these things and i mean the the other like um real standout part in it um and this is like i think the most formative event i think in his whole like creative career because the um one thing i've watched recently just kind of like a side note to this is that mm-hmm. i think it was one of his last public appearances this year was um for tcm fest and they were doing a 50th anniversary screening of the exorcist and yeah he obviously like looks like he's yeah. he's knocking on death's door and he he's even he's in good humor about it because he's like you know i i nobody's going to remember me as the director of the movie uh with sunny and share you know good times <laughs> yeah, nobody right. will remember he'll be remembered as the director of the exorcist or the french connection um but yeah it was just like the the talk of um uh how he got his start you know i mean it's a long circuitous road but uh road but for a time he was making documentaries for for tv and um uh, these are hard to find by the way these documentaries that he er, he made earlier in his career mm-hmm. but yeah i definitely want to seek this one out it's called the bold men and um he talks about how he was he was making a documentary about the breaking the the land speed record because um, I don't know if you know this, Steve, mm. but like they they tried to beat the land speed record out in the Bonneville Flats, okay, um, out in Utah. It's just like this flat desert. You've you've probably seen it before sure. in like movies, and I think there's even a Daft Punk music video that they shot out there. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so they it's just like this really long flat place. Like there's a famous scene in uh in the Master that happens there too, mm-hmm. and um. Uh yeah, so people are just like racing these these um these cars and you know trying to beat like the the land speed record and, I, and so he he caught it and he made like this documentary that was like um you know it's supposed to be TV length so an hour with commercials it would be 47 sure. minutes. So he he was saying like how experimental and radical it was that they were doing all these like these cuts and stuff that just like looked like it was you know nothing that was being shown on TV at that time, and then so they show it to the the head of the TV studio, and he was like upset, like he threw a shoe through the the screen, <laughs> and it left like a hole in the screen, <laughs> like that's how pissed off he was about it. And then um you know it it just fucked William uh, Friedkin up good. You know it's like it clearly broke him because um it it shaped him into the filmmaker. He became, and this is a quote from the book. He he says it gave him an invaluable lesson. You know, go straight for the story. Don't clutter it with technique or director's touches. And that pretty much, like, dictated his career. Because, you know, as much as he's made, like, these standout films, there's nothing really that you can define, like, as a a William Friedkin style. Right. You know, or, like, um, Like uh, he's he's not as... yeah. Yeah, he's not as iconic as, like, Scorsese... Or even Spielberg, you know, you can see like how Spielberg is, you know, um, now looking back on it, that there, even with his blockbusters and his more serious movies, there's like a, a continuous like thread mm. of what a Spielberg movie is. Um, whereas for him, and this is what he said at the Exorcist um, screening, was that he, you know, he never made a film for himself, you know, mm. um, and just all the the fights that he's had with the studios over time, like. 
it's it's pretty clear that 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 that's part of it is just that you know even just to get that made he had to fight for it and it's like a commercial product and i think that 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 was like one of his frustrations in his life was just that he never really got to make you know something personal um even though you know the his because he he played the game basically you know Mm -hmm. and he he knew what that entailed but he, he still ended up losing you know, and that's actually something that David Lynch talks about in his book, which is a very different book. It's all like just short passages. Mm-hmm. But in Catching the Fig- Big Fish, he's like, yeah, either way you lose. You know, if you if you make what they want, you're going to lose because it's going to be betraying yourself. And then if you make what you want, you're going to lose because, you know... Um, nobody's gonna like it if it's too personal you know mm-hmm. and, and weird and he says that he would rather make something that he wants to make because you know at least if he's losing he's losing on his own terms you sure. know sure um yeah so so i i think that yeah, that yeah yeah so friedkin really is like this embattled individual you know um he, he's had quite a career and you know most filmmakers would kill to have um you know at least one film that's considered to be a classic and he has maybe three or four mm-hmm. um and they're you know they're, they're being reappraised because you know my favorite freaking film is this is sorcerer right. and you know that's like been getting more and more like appreciation um as time has passed because you know it was really just a movie that was a victim to history in the sense that um, that that was the movie that he got to make whatever he wanted, and he even had like full control over it because you know he had the back to back hits with French Connection and and Exorcist, and he just had the misfortune of of coming out the same time as Star Wars, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yep. and and Star Wars basically changed Hollywood, <laughs> and and then it was also I guess you know um, studios just started becoming more conservative and not wanting to invest in auteurs because they were, you know, making all these mega projects that were out of control towards the end of the 70s. And by the time the 80s came around, studios were just like, now nah, we're we're taking these away from you <laughs> as uh, artists, you know. So he, he was definitely a victim of that. And he, like, he spent most of the 80s trying to, you know, reclaim it, even though you know, we mentioned um, To Live and Die in L.A. is mm-hmm. a masterpiece. Um uh, but yeah, he he was just legendary guy. I mean, like the the interviews with his cursing is just incredible. The fuck them and the horse that they rode on. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Like, where does that confidence and the frust and the anger? Where does it come from? Or just like in a way, it's really inspiring to see someone so free like that. You know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the, I think the the memoir talks about it a lot because mm-hmm. it's just like yeah, he he got beat down a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I imagine that you know, um, if I had followed that path, not to put myself in his shoes, I oh, mean, sure. I, I w- if I were beat to be so lucky, but yeah. like you know, <laughs> if I played the game the way he did, you know, like yeah, that would have broken me completely, you know. And for him, he he still tried. I mean, he he has another film. Like that was the other crazy thing with him passing. That I, I was like thinking, man, is Killer Joe his last movie? Which is a great way to end a career. But um, he actually has another film coming out this year, and I already invited Brandon to come uh, oh, cool. back on the show to discuss it when it comes out. Um, so he he's leaving us with with one more film. But like I mean, you know, tr- uh, before that, Killer Joe was twenty eleven, 
So it's it's twelve years between (laughs) movies. Like the gaps were bigger. I mean, you know, he was getting older, but yeah, it's really that. Like I think he got chewed up by the system and spat out again. And you know, like yeah, most of the nineties he was just like languishing. You know, like that. That's why when Bug came out, like in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, or maybe even earlier, two thousand six, like that was like declared to be his comeback. You know. Uh, but well, then he, yeah. Well, it's it's weird. So. On on IMDb in 2017, they have a t- they have something from him. Oh yeah, yeah. Looks, Brandon and I like, talked about it. It was a documentary, though. Yeah, it's a doc. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's yeah, yeah, it's like a real life exorcist, and he 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 made it with Mark Kermode, who's like a film critic, who's like the greatest exorcist fan in the world. Like he's made so many documentaries oh. about it. Like I remember cuz yeah that was my my initial memory of the exorcist that it was banned in the UK when I lived there. Mm-hmm. Like you weren't out, it, there were no VHS tapes of it. Like it was never publicly screened. Yeah. Um like the censor board basically decided to ban it outright. So the only way that I could see like clips from it was from this Mark Kermo documentary about the movie and this was when they were like still discussing like how to how they couldn't incorporate the spider walk because it was like a notorious like uh, deleted scene mm-hmm. and when they put it back in the director's cut like they found a way to kind of find the rhythm for it okay. um uh what's this uh people hated it <laughs> it's like oh. yeah people people are always like now leaning more towards the theatrical cut uh than <laughs> than freaking's director's cut That's you know because they don't like all the parts that are included uh, back in you know it's like some of it should have been left on the cutting room floor funny. but but yeah like the the speaking stuff like uh th- there's a it's actually a special feature on the sorcerer dv uh blu-ray where um he has a he's got like an hour-long talk with nicholas winding refin and it's hilarious like he's because you know refin is so full of himself obviously you know sure. he's like this egotist and um and Friedkin is just like roasting him every time because you know like Refn is like you know I I believe Drive is a masterpiece you know only God forgives is a masterpiece and then Friedkin's like is there a doctor in the house oh I've seen that clip <laughs> yeah make, you've seen make that clip. the rounds yeah. on X yeah yeah. Oh, yeah 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 it's been making the rounds yeah because it's so good and like because you know he um basically the uh, Refn is like putting a Drive on par with Citizen Kane and you know uh. Friedkin is such a big like admirer of Citizen Kane like he uses that as the gold standard and unfairly like he compares himself to that movie or his films like he's like oh this isn't on the level of Citizen Kane even that Ugh. exorcist talk uh, but no I you know I mean uh, I'm due for a revisit for Citizen Kane but like yeah I would I would put on cruising before I put on Citizen Kane yeah it's <laughs> sleepy it's um, yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I would probably have more of an appreciation of the technical stuff he's doing, oh, yeah. and also just because, um, yeah, I have more context for Wells too in his films. I mean, like, uh, um, I really appreciate the film he made after, um, Magnificent Anversons, mm-hmm. and Effort Fake is great too. So, like, I think, yeah, it's it's due for a rewalk. So when I, I saw it, it was like it was considered to be the greatest film ever made. You know, it had just had like this this unbelievable hype behind it you know that totally. it, it, it i didn't think it, you know my 15 year old brain could for sure um reconcile yeah, i mean so, well it's but, funny like the whole thing with orson wells like i wish hmm. we could somehow go back and catch that radio broadcast of the war of the world oh yeah you know yeah, that, that thing that it's like legendary yeah. that everybody mm-hmm. talks about everyone getting so freaked out 
just why mm. was it so gnarly you yeah. know and like you know has anybody done a podcast or like why doesn't netflix do a doc on that like i like but I, you know obviously i don't know if there's any footage or anything like that of, of, yeah, of, there of is the that famous broadcast. photograph yeah but mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean the closest that we we can get to that is uh um david fincher's uh mank yeah oh right yeah. <laughs> but but it was more about um wells's collaborator for citizen kane yeah the screenwriter um cool. uh but yeah just going back to friedkin um you know it's funny how he starts the memoir too with all the missed opportunities he had to like make a lot of money (laughs) yeah so um you know obviously that that drove him a little bit too i mean you know who wouldn't like i mean now as i'm approaching my 40s i am like realizing that 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 kind of and you know it's even relevant now with the strike you know with these talk of of you know they're they're gonna keep the strike going uh, until like actors and the writers start losing their their houses Dude, and their apartments and I shit, know. you know. I heard from someone that it might go till twenty twenty four. You know, like that's like, ridiculous. It might, go, it might it might yeah. go through the end of this year and you know into January. Or, you know, but who knows? Yeah, yeah. yeah and it's wild that these mo- certain movies are like getting you know um, what are those like waivers? Like certain studios are getting waivers. It's yeah, and it's the smaller the studios like A twenty four and Neon. <laughs> um, to allow like actors to promote it like you know um sure. ferrari i didn't know was a neon movie and oh. so yeah ferrari got the waiver so like adam driver um and everybody else are gonna pr- be promoting it <laughs> yeah uh, so like the New York so Film Festival. it'll be really interesting to see if that all that's on the up and up and how those those people get treated yeah you know like yeah it's uh it's gonna be a developing situation as they say right yeah and i mean but that that kind of financial stability thing that that comes into question i mean that 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 makes sense why freaking made certain choices in his career that he did you know because they you know they were financially (laughs) motivated and um yeah so some of the missed opportunities i just wanted to bring it up sure yeah i want to hear one was that um uh jean-michel basquiat was like a big admirer of his work and had sent him like early paintings and because oh. like freaking didn't get what it was, he just threw it in the trash. Oh. And then like he learned like, you know, after Basquiat passed, uh, you know, like Basquiat paintings would go for like 10 million. Sometimes they're going like for 50 million bucks now. <laughs> yeah. No and he missed he's out angry. on it. Like yeah, God yeah, damn. early early Basquiat. And then um one of the producers um for his early films like owned the Boston Celtics and offered him like a um an ownership stake oh, and he turned it on. down. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> he would have had like, yeah, he would have like made so much money. And then, um, the other thing Jeez. was, um, a young, like musical artist had reached out to him to make something that was like new at the time, which was a music video for one oh of his songs. My God. And it was for this new channel that was about to come out oh, called no. MTV. No. Can you guess who the artist was, Steve? That was, asked, it, Michael, was uh, it Michael Jackson? Uh, Close, close. <laughs> Some guy who's he's in the same realm as Michael Jackson, and also is no longer with us. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, is it so? It's like uh, like like pop. Yeah, and he, he's he's MJ's uh, contemporary. Oh shoot. Uh, yeah. Okay. Is Lionel? Did Lionel Richie just die? No. He's a little before. No, okay. and Ri- I think Lionel Richie's still alive. <laughs> Dang. Okay. Yeah. Uh, who is it? Um, it's a uh, it's Prince, mm. so you had a chance to make a, a music video for Prince, and you know, 
for MTV. He would have made one of the first ever music videos. So yeah, William Friedkin, man, like <laughs> all the. I mean, but but the misses are just as important. Like as, oh yeah, like you have to take the whole soup, and that's what yeah the, exactly that's what it's all about. Oh yeah, that's I amazing. mean, I yeah, I I would say like the, a couple of things that also just made me realize with this his recent passing is one that um I'm probably like a second tier uh William Friedkin fan like you know how we have like tiers of fandom oh yeah I would say if you're your first tier it's like you've seen all the deep cuts you know you you like yeah. those movies and then you know and then second tier would be like you've only seen like the 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 hits. And yeah. you've never really dug deep, and I, I think you know, cruising was as deep as I've, I've gone. Yeah, for um, sure. I'm like, I'm like tier three. I've seen like half the hits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do the Exorcist. Oh, hell might yeah. even uh, bring a guest for for the Exorcist trilogy. We'll stick to the trilogy. We'll you know, we'll skip all the remakes and dude. Reboots. You got me hyped yeah. to see Sorcerer, but I gotta we we gotta contact Jade and and do. Um, cruising to, uh, yes to, yeah, absolutely sure. <laughs> yeah um yeah and i mean it, it, this makes me want to go back and and watch um uh, i mean uh, the first like uh friedkin film on my docket of, of watching because you know now i'm digging deep is is actually good times the, the sunny and share movie that he oh, made sure. that he hates so but yeah, I, i'm excited because like i love this whole period in like the late 60s when people were just making movies that were just psychedelic you know, yeah. and I feel like it, it falls in with like, um, you know, the Beatles help or like, um, yeah. um, what was the one that the monkeys made? It's called head. And then, um, oh, right. which is also on my, my to watch list. And then there was another movie by Otto Preminger called Skidoo. Like all these movies kind of fit in that, uh-huh. uh, you know, Petulia. That's another movie by Richard Lester. Like the, you know, so I feel like. It's within that realm. I mean, I I remember seeing the trailer for it too before I went to see um, because they were showing a lot of like nineteen sixties um trailer late sixties trailers before Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, at the Alamo, mm-hmm. uh, Draft House. So they showed a trailer for for um for Good Times, and I didn't even realize that William Friedkin directed it. You know, because I mean wow. he's probably like scrubbed his name from yeah. like the credits of the project, at least in the promotional stuff. Cause he, yeah, he's so ashamed of it. Yeah. All the promo photos look terrible. So I'm, yeah. like, I'm really curious. <laughs> like, what, like, yeah. what did they actually yeah. film? Yeah, yeah. Who knows? No, but the the story of the making of it, you know, that he he details in the memoir is fantastic. You know, I'm like, yeah, because he said like, even though he hates the the final product, he had so much fun on the shoot. Oh sure. You know, so I I think it, it's still worth revisiting. And um, um, yeah, and I I, I was just thinking about like a lot of old filmmakers that I admire. I mean, we just did a whole episode on recently on, on James Benning. He's up there in age. I mean, Michael Mann, you know, Scorsese. And the funny thing is they all have like movies this year coming out. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's a big year. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just like how, how much longer have we got with them? Like we really need to appreciate like every single movie that comes out now because it's just, you don't know that could be the last right um but yeah william yeah. friedkin man the best shout out yeah. william frikin thank you for blue chips thank you for the exorcist oh yeah we did an thank episode you, on you, blue chips you. too that was the jade episode oh heck yeah dude perfect all right well actually you know i just have a scott take to tie in with william friedkin why not you know he'll 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 love scott this take. yeah man okay interesting what you got man yeah okay so 
Have you seen the French Connection, Steve? Yes, I, I, yeah. it's it's like it's a classic. I saw it a long mm. time ago, so the details are fuzzy, but I remember right. like the, the like the big points. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's like um, you know, there was some controversy actually this year, earlier this year, because people realized that the the copy that was streaming on Criterion Channel is a censored version oh, the of the movie. What? Come on. Yeah, yeah, because um, it has something to do with like basically, um, you know, 20th Century Fox was acquired by Disney. And then Disney made a censored version of, and, and it's not like a completely censored version, but it's just enough to like get rid of, I guess, the more, the parts that basically make Gene Hackman's character like unsavory. You know, right, where, I mean, he's a little more, he's racially insensitive and he's kind yeah, of. Yeah, all that shit. Yeah. So they cut all those bits out and, you know, people, it actually like led to um, the Blu ray <laughs> French connection selling out. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> you know, and then people oh, yeah. started like charging crazy on um, on uh, eBay, like marking it up. All these scalpers, man, they, they suck. But now it's in stock. Like you can get it for ten bucks, which is a great deal. Hey, all right. Uh, hey. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I love that it, it's at that price. Um, they've kept it at that price point. It's full of extras too. But my the Scott take I wanted to make was basically that the, of course, the most famous scene in the movie is the ca- the elevated train oh. car chase. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and I've already kind of alluded to it, um, but yeah, I, I I feel like to live and die in LA's car chase is so much better. Yeah, it's just such a great car chase. That is hot. Like, That's a hot take, though. Yeah, that it means is. The yeah, French, the French connections like is 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 up on a pedestal in most people's right. minds, no doubt. Yeah, but like I mean, you know, with. Uh, to live and die in LA, he's going against traffic on you know the um, the Vincent Thomas Bridge. Uh-huh. Like it's just all these these crazy things that are going on, and just the way I guess they covered it. I mean, you know, yeah. the cinematographer of To Live and Die in LA is actually also much better than than the one for French Connection. It's um, uh, Robbie Mueller, you know, mm. um, who's just like incredible cinematographer, you know. Um, and he's shot some of my all-time favorite films, like you know Paris, Texas, and uh, Down by Law, El Repo Man, you know. Oh yeah, and actually even Come Repo on. Man, uh, and um, yeah, those movies are all like were made in the same vicinity, you know, like from '84 to the '86. Well, you That's know, crazy. we've we've established 1985 as a special year. It's maybe the movie yeah. food year of the year. You know, it's just like so, <laughs> yeah. so, so. so any movie that comes out in 85, like To Live and Die in L.A., is going to get that little extra, the extra bump. Hell yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of another 85 movie recently, actually, but uh, it, it's, it's yeah. Um, I'm blanking now. It, yeah, but it It'll come back. Else, it's like, yeah, maybe it might come back for a movie that we're discussing later. That's an yeah. 84 movie. But, yeah, we have, we have a movie yeah. in, in that said window, Carlo, coming mm-hmm. up. Yep. Uh, but before that, I guess, you know, uh, let's uh, – we, we got a few appetizers to go through. That's right. So should we fire it up? It's time for movie food appetizers, appetizers, appetizers. It's movie food appetizers. Ah, it's just like it's. It feels good. It feels good to hear that masterpiece and just kind of get you know (laughs) centered, get locked in here. And we got some. We got some tasty appetizers this week, Carlacho. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say that these appetizers are almost like mini main courses, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and speaking of so which, we're, we're gonna hear it later. We have a main course jingle now, so just, just, ooh, just so nice. that's coming up once we get All there. Right. Just, just let everyone know. Stick around. You gotta hear the main course sounder. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, so we'll, we'll start with something that could be news, but also it, it's it, like the dust has settled on it. So that's why I think like our opinions on it are much better because we're not caught in the moment that a lot of people were. But, you know, we, we alluded to it like in our previous episode. Uh, it was a communal event. Oh, yeah. Uh, sing- a significant cultural moment in time. Oh. And we're going to talk about Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer? Yeah, I'm excited. So, um, I I don't know which way to go with this. Other like, mm. I, I'm excited to just talk about it. Just the event in general, right? Yeah, like what was your just take of the just this amazing? Like I call it a cinematic celebrate. Like I actually wrote this down: a cinematic celebration of the marketing and advertising industrial complex. <laughs> that's that's good, man. Thank you know you. the 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 crazy thing is though is that. I never saw a, tra- a full trailer for Barbie before yeah. seeing the movie, which is strange because, you know, I was going to the theater a lot, but for some reason, like, I always missed it or, oh. you know, like, it never came on. My- so I never went out of my way to watch the full trailer. All I had seen was, like, the 2001, yeah. like, you know, uh, Space Odyssey, like, spoof trailer, yeah. with the, which I didn't realize was actually the opening of the movie. Um, yeah. You know, I I, yeah, I thought uh, that was it. Almost just made seems for, like a yeah. one-off. Yeah, it almost seems like a like a music video or like a hype video, I guess, kind of. Form. Right. But you're right. Yeah, yeah. So so there was that. So it was like shrouded in mystery, and then the weekend of which you know it was just like a crazy like box office weekend. I forgot how many thousands of people like went to buy tickets for both movies. Totally. But it was a lot, like maybe two hundred thousand. I don't know. And I, I mean, that's probably just like in America. So um. So wait, I just want to ask. In your memory, do you remember another kind of weekend where two movies were paired together like this, where it was like you got to see both of these movies? No, yeah, that's the thing. I was scratching my head. Yeah. And, you know, there's obviously, like, articles about, like, movies that are comparable, I guess, in terms of box office of how much they made. But right. when you actually look at it, like, you know, they, it's one thing. Uh, it, it's fascinating, the whole thing. I'm I'm fascinated by, like, Moneyball and like saber metrics oh yeah <laughs> like, oh yeah i'm flying up advanced stats to like movies and stuff because you know the, there was Ooh, actually a studio like that. that tried like to that. do that like which that. is hilarious but instead of like baseball players they were using actors um yeah which just like was all fake you know people bought into it but that. context is important <laughs> to stats yes. you know mm-hmm. especially with okay. movies so they're they're doing these comparables to all these movies that basically like made around the same amount of money or or close to like you know opening weekends you know of like big blockbusters but the the problem with the context is that sometimes they're they're often like um the reason why they're released at those certain points is because it aligns with like some sort of holiday so obviously mm-hmm. christmas is a big one yeah, you yeah. know there's a lot of movies that come out on christmas and then they make a lot of money because what else are people going to do on christmas day you know um restaurants are closed most stores are closed only movie theaters are open you know, so yeah. most people watch a movie. Like, I mean, that's my tradition. I watch a movie on on Christmas Day. It's you so know. fun. Yeah, you go you go out, you get some Chinese food, and then you go. Yeah, you watch a movie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I had many legendary Christmas Day. So, so that's the closest comparable that you can have is basically the, a lot of these holiday releases. Um, I can't remember what came out the same um time mm. as Avatar. But you know, Avatar is basically doing most of the heavy lifting. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, but Barbie is approaching Avatar numbers, which is totally. just crazy to me. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it, like it, there just isn't anything comparable to it. Like, uh, but yeah. it's funny. Like I joked around on it on on X or Twitter. I, I'm still gonna call it Twitter. Sure. Yeah. That's but funny. um, uh, so they announced that December eighth, uh, two movies that I'm anticipating are both coming out. So Poor Things and Zone of Interest are oh, coming yeah. out on the same day. So I've even come up with my own Barbenheimer like Ooh. hashtag. I call it the Poor Interest. <laughs> that's what i'm going with i like uh, that okay <laughs> and then you know to be go. more yeah to be more offensive i call it poor zone um <laughs> <laughs> so those are my yeah. two like hashtags for it but obviously it's not gonna catch on it's it's gonna be yeah, at best like it's memeable but like sure. i don't think the numbers will follow because there's just not as much hype about these these two movies on december 8th yeah that are coming out and that's what i'm most startled by is just how the the whole marketing thing, how they were able to convince the whole global population that they not only needed to see one of these movies, that they maybe were, were going to skip otherwise, but that, mm-hmm. no, you have to actually see both, and you need yeah. to see them within the first two weeks of release. Like, mm. like, the fact that Barbie has hit, like, I think it hit a bill. Is that right? Oh, yeah. It's it's well over a billion now at this Jeez. point. And, like, they, yeah, they're already saying it's, like, the biggest like um you know money making yeah. movie for a female uh, directed movie you know it's so. pretty incredible carlo like what we're yep. seeing here and yeah i think you mentioned context is important yeah. i think i think a part of the soup is all the strikes there's a little mm. element of people are like hey we might not get movies for a while or you know or at least <laughs> that's get in there or at least that's yeah. in in people's you know thoughts even you know i, I don't quite yeah. know if, if that's like correct but um and then just post pandemic, you know, I think still people aren't, you know, are a little, you know, obviously us in our community, we still like to get out to the movies and see what's cracking. But I think some people are still a little bit like, hey, I'm just going to stream. I'm, I'm happy just being on the couch. Yeah. And they kind of got everyone fired up to like, no, let's get out and see these. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, no, no matter what you think about the movies, it's it's pretty amazing and like it's a win for the movie industry in general um yeah just to see the turnout and and to see the excitement yeah absolutely um yeah i mean it's it's easy to like get caught up in it but it's funny like you mentioned oh yeah like going back to the movies the the other um kind of evil flip side of it is that you get like all these people complaining about how people have forgotten to like conduct themselves in in movie theaters and um you know uh, oh, right yeah yeah, yeah like <laughs> there's a lot of complaints of people like um taking photos of the screen while the movie's going with their flash on you know uh i mean What's i i think actually people, even carlo What's yeah, happening? yeah yeah it's just crazy um and <laughs> I, I mean i was very lucky with both screenings that i i, I was with a well-behaved audience yeah like, other, other than um and i mean this is more of a flaw with universal's like imax theater mm-hmm. is that there's barely any leg room so um the guy behind me kept on hitting my my seat sure <laughs> and I mean, yeah. he wasn't doing it like that often for me to like turn around and like just ask him it was just yeah. like i guess he had to readjust sometimes so mm-hmm. uh i i just let it pass you know but um but it was that was that was the closest thing to like an annoyance oh, yeah. i think um that i had during the screens but yeah some people have had like bad experiences uh, like you know i mean the some of them have gone viral you you saw that video right of the 
it was in Brazil, I think, where the woman had her daughter like just watch YouTube videos, which was my complaint about Megan right. earlier this year. Yeah. And then, you know, the woman, uh, uh, there was another woman in the audience that was so irate that she like slapped her and <laughs> oh, <laughs> slapped her down. Anger, dude. Hell I know, yeah, right? Dude, yeah, yeah. So, oh. yeah. Um, but yeah, as, it's just like. As you should. Yeah. Yeah, That's yeah. Awesome. I mean, uh, it, it's just crazy to me that like these people who are you know obnoxious and rude in theaters actually don't think they're doing anything wrong there's definitely some kind of a deterioration happening Mm -hmm. with you know we're all addicted to our phones we can't even put it away for a movie you know like a Mm -hmm. a really you know seemingly a special hey oh hey put your phone away you know kind Mm -hmm. of kind of obvious situation but it's just yeah, I think to a lot of people, it just doesn't register like that, which is really staggering to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then people are saying, oh, it's people are forgetting how to behave because of the pandemic and stuff like that. Like in public, they're acting like uh, the public spaces are now extensions of their living room. Yeah. But I'm just feeling more and more that we're, we're heading towards that... Um, the thing that Mike Judge predicted in Idiocracy, it's happening, dude. Like yeah. we're actually seeing it. Like it's it's really happening. So I guess that's the the evil flip side of this Barbenheimer thing is that that just like really came into fruition and you know an extension of your summer of anger. You oh, know, yeah. it's just like people uh, lashing out. But um, but yeah, let let's get into the movies. I'm I'm oh, really yeah. curious. I'm ready, I'm ready Carl. I'm ready. So yeah, Carla. Uh, ladies first. So let's do Barbie sure. first. Um. Oh, yeah. Barbie. So. Um. Yeah. Tell me, what was your viewing experience like, Steve? You yeah. know, and then yeah. Yeah. Everything with the viewing was fine. So okay. With the wife. Nice. We kind of wanted to scope it out without the kids, just because we're a little mm-hmm. worried about the the merchandising. Our kids are <laughs> dipped in these stuffies called Squishmallows. Like those are. Oh, I know different. what they're. Yeah, they're the same. It's the same company that makes Beanie Babies, right? I, they, they I, I think so. Yeah. 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 So, so it's like, I, I might be a bit of a hypocrite to be like, well, I don't want to expose them to Barbies yet, you know? So, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's who we are. We're, we're, we're mm-hmm. a mix. We're, you know, there's, there's right. no clean score. So as far as the movie sure. goes, we were scoping it out and the real takeaway both of us had, but especially me was just, I just don't think the movie is for me. Like, mm-hmm. um, like the whole time I was watching it, you know, I was, you know, I liked, I liked some aspects. I like. I laughed at a couple of the parts, but just so much felt just not for me. Like it, like almost like watching the Super Mario movie, the the latest mm-hmm. one, where it was just yeah. like, okay, yeah, way to go. You made a good Mario movie. There's a couple things in here I like, but really, um, I needed this in in 1993. You know, <laughs> right. um, yeah, and, yeah. And so, and I know some of our friends like Kay, Amanda, and I think even Bill. All wrote they pretty, liked it. Yeah. all mm-hmm. kind of nice reviews on Letterbox. So was, shout out was K's review like a five star review? I think it, or it was pretty up there. It was either four and a half, uh, yeah, or five. It yeah, was four and a like, half. Yeah. I think Amanda's oh, wow. was was like in the threes. You know, and okay. like you know, hers was a little more temperate, and Bill liked it, and mm-hmm. and so it just kind of left me with like, okay, yeah, it's a good movie, no <laughs> doubt. I just don't know who it's for. <laughs> um, was kind of the way I left it, and and it, and also you, you're just kind of put in this position of, okay, because of what the movie means socially, if I don't like the movie and I'm a guy, 
is is there a way to not like the movie and not be a jerk about it? Ooh, yeah, that that's that's the big. Um, and yeah, so think, uh, and so, you know, here we are at the beginning of the conversation. We're gonna find out. We're gonna find out <laughs> if if we, if we are total jerks yeah. or if or I no. mean I mean I don't know what your <laughs> perspective is. For me, it was like cool. You made a movie. I don't think it's for me though. And my mm-hmm. wife, who's the same yeah. age as me kind yep. of agreed she kind of was like oh okay she was like you know what i don't really like this movie she liked she actually liked the america ferrera speech you know the like mm. the i guess the um how would you describe it the um the paradoxes of being mm. a woman you know right you know, be th- you know you're supposed to be thin but don't talk about being thin and you know she liked all <laughs> that that that, yeah. that run Mm-hmm. She thought that that was poignant, but as far as like the movie goes and the plot and the, where it went, she she wasn't that into it either. So I'm I'm curious okay. what you got, Carlacho. Come on. Oh yeah, I mean I I gave the short answer of like being a jerk. I mean uh, uh, is no, yeah you're not. If you if you don't like this movie, that doesn't reflect on you. And I I hate that when it's like people make these these judgments sure um on other people for not liking it it's like oh you know i mean i i thought you were even going to take it a step further not just like you're being a jerk but oh you're actually a misogynist you know oh you're you know you're anti-feminist you're anti-women's rights for not liking this movie you know Mm -hmm. um uh which is obviously isn't the case and it's funny how there's that flip side too when we get to oppenheimer of like people also making judgments of of people who like that movie yeah, which is right. weird. So there's judgments of you if you don't like Barbie, and then there's judgments of you if you like Oppenheimer. Yeah, you know, there's like people start categorizing you and shit. And yeah. I think I think this is just part of the collateral damage of it being a big global event. So it's like mm-hmm. the pros of it being a an event is that people went and saw the movies. People maybe got reinvigorated on cinema and going to the mm-hmm. theaters and it's great for everyone involved in in the movie communities and the the, the producers the directors the actors etc but then the collateral damage is that you in the current context of social media and everyone having a contrarian take and a snarky take on whatever you say um that yeah you you, you get chewed up you can get chewed apart in this weird virtual fictitious world <laughs> you know right if you have an opinion uh either way on any of these you know mm-hmm. and that's just kind of i guess par for the course i suppose at that right the, in, yeah in, in, in and, this context yeah yeah and i i don't know if it's just like a social media thing because you know obviously i, I never saw anybody like having these yeah arguments well, you know outside of articles. the theater i feel like it's, oh yeah yeah it's yeah but those are online articles yeah yeah, yeah, I, I, I think those are for the clicks, though. You know, that's oh, yeah. that's why they do it. But, um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, my my short review of Barbie would be like, you know, uh, if I were to rate it out of five stars, I would rate it one poo emoji. Ooh. You know, like <laughs> God take. Like, I really think, yeah, I really think. Yeah, the more I think of it, I'm like, man, this movie's poo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, the uh, I I made a joke about it too in terms of like where where the inspirations were from because people were making such a big deal out of that with with Greta Gerwig saying oh yeah she loves like the red shoes by you know um mm. uh, uh Powell and Pressburger you know like she knows her shit like she's a cinephile yeah Greta Gerwig is also like around our age by the way um so oh, you cool. know that's also interesting oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she's from our generation um so i i would 
think that her reference points are, you know, something that we can relate to. And, um, but yeah, I was just thinking, no, this reminds me of the adventures of Patchhead on Kablam in Nickelodeon. Like, that's really what it looks like. It's just like this, I mean, you know, uh, ironically, it's, it's plastic, you know, it's like this fake world, um, and then a lot of green screen, you know, like that, that's just how it looked. And I mean, you know, the, the guy who shot it, um, is Rodrigo Prieto, who's like, you know, worked with, uh, Martin Scorsese a lot. And obviously he's, he shot, I think, um, Scorsese's latest film, um, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, so yeah, you know, he, he knows how to shoot, but, um, but yeah, for this one, I think, you know, it's just, where do I start with this? That was, I think my initial reaction to you when I, Sure. When I came out from it, I was just like, I don't even know where to start <laughs> <laughs> with like, um, just, uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, mm. I, I also say like my biases, um, just on the outset that I don't like Noah Baumbach. Right. Like yeah. I, I, I think I'm not a fan of his work. Um, like I, I thought when I, when I first saw Squid and the Whale, um, like I, I thought, that was a good movie when I first mm-hmm. saw it. But, you know, when I look back on it, there's just something that he does. And I, I haven't seen most of his Netflix stuff, even though, you know, I saw White Noise, which was terrible. Yep. Um, uh, but, uh, like, there's just this smugness and kind of bitterness in his, his work. And yeah. it, it's, it, it seeps through here, obviously, because he co-wrote the movie. But, like, I even think that, he, like, Wes Anderson's worst movies are the ones that Noah Baumbach co-wrote with him. You know, it's because Noah Baumbach's like cynicism is just there, mm. and it's just like it 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 weighs down the entire work. Like you know, it's such a this movie is just so didactic. Like it doesn't even matter if the message is positive. Like why do you have to be so um on the nose about it? You know, like it's like you're you're declaring everything. There's no subtlety to the movie whatsoever. Yeah. You know, and I mean it tries to play it off for for laughs but you know at the same time it's like uh is this just kind of lazy because you know i mean the the comparable to it really is the lego movie you know there's this whole thing about you know the lego world and then the real world and a weird Mm. connection with will ferrell being in both movies kind of being like you know the corporate guy who's like looking out for corporate (laughs) interests you know um yeah he's like yeah president business in in lego movie and then he's a He's the CEO of Mattel in, in this one. Um, but yeah, it just, it it doesn't work the same way that Lego Movie does. You know, Lego Movie is just like the shining example of how to make like something that's commercial and corporate, but then also like slyly biting mm-hmm. the hand that feeds. And Barbie just is not subtle about it. Right. Like it's pretty clear that, you know, what it, its message is and like what its ideas are. And it, it's totally like, I don't know. It's in over its head. I I feel like when it, when it comes to like um, portraying these ideas, because there's a way that you can do it in a clever way. I think, but oh yeah, they just yeah they just have the characters say the ideas outright. You know, yeah. it's just like to me that's just lazy to to do well, it that way. To me, it's like it's hyper vigilant. Um, mm-hmm. It's like it's to me. I, I thought it was. It's just like it's trying to do too much. Mm. Like the 2001 opening. That is like so clever f- for kids. Like that is clearly a reference for us. So yeah. I guess in a way mm-hmm. the movie is is f- targeted at us, but it's like Right. But the movie is also targeted seemingly it's a kids movie. But, but it, they it, made weird. an adult yeah. they made it a kids movie for adult kids. Yeah. Kind uh, of. Yeah, I mean 
we should also point out that it's rated PG-13. I had to, like, double-check because I thought it was a PG movie oh. initially. But then, you know, when I was like, yeah, the subject matter that's being brought up and, you know, you mentioned your kids. I'm like, yeah, I would not have – I would not bring, like, a preteen – kid you know it's too um, it's too clever to yeah it's too mm-hmm. you know you have to know about that you can damage a barbie you mm-hmm. have to know that you know i don't know there's a lot of the references i mean mm-hmm. i thought like the best line of the movie is is the nsync line that um what was the nsync line so alan played by michael Sarah. <laughs> yeah He's um, when when he's talking to the crew, I think Barbie and America Ferrera and the the the, the woman who played daughter. Uh, yeah, who is that? Is that uh, 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 I'm blanking. But yeah, she has like the most like on the nose like spiel about Barbie. <laughs> right. Yeah, so yeah. um. So so yeah. When um uh Alan is is like trying to escape, he's basically saying that Alan has escaped in the past. Have you seen? Mm. Do you guys know about NSYNC? All Alan. And so I thought I was okay. Like that's like that's great <laughs> I line that of line, <laughs> line of the, of the movie. Way to go! Yeah. Um, but then like other. But again, it's like but you have to know about NSYNC. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's clearly for yeah. It, I mean that's why I'm saying that Greta Gerwig is our age. It's yeah. F- for for forty year old for thirty or forty year old mm-hmm. adults, namely women who have played with Barbies that know all these references. Yeah. And that are down with the mainstream, just down with just down to clown. And yeah. so it's like very specific. And it, in, in, in a way, right. you know, here we are, two guys, you know, talking about Barbie, you know, and, yeah. and it's like, <laughs> like they won. They absolutely yeah. won. Oh, I mean, yeah, the 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 numbers, you know, are yeah. the bottom line. You know, it's like you're you're wondering who it's for, but everybody's going to see it. So it's like it's for yeah. everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess. It and is. seeing it more than once, you know, obviously, like for for a movie to do billions, like it has to like be seen more than once by people, yeah. you know. And I'm really yeah. I'm really enjoying this. I'm really happy that we get to talk about it because this is what it's all about. We're about yeah. having this movie club. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's not. It, I I cannot believe I saw this movie, and it, it's it, 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 it's 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 only because of what they created, what they generated, and it's like yeah, pretty incredible. Like I'm I'm right. stunned. I'm talking about this movie w- with you right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy to even find out that you know like they spent more on the marketing for this movie, which you know ended up oh, yeah. winning and being justified. But they spent more on marketing than they did for the actual movie. You know, which is not standard. Usually, it's like half of the budget that usually people spend on marketing. Okay. But um, but yeah, they spent more on it. It was like I think the budget for the movie is one forty-five, and they spent one hundred and fifty. Dang. Yeah, for marketing. So, but yeah, it worked. Like you know, I mean, totally worked. I don't know if your theater had it, but our theater definitely had the the Barbie box. Oh yeah. You know, (laughs) people for the photo. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that was just a big hit for people you know so okay um, so i i gotta ask are there any mm. parts of it that you liked any aspect of it you know moments whatever um i mean yeah i think the uh, the west side of la stuff oh yeah <laughs> i enjoyed yeah. even though like they they cleaned up um uh whatchamacallit it they venice? cleaned up venice beach yeah. <laughs> there's no homeless there's no tents in yeah. venice beach which is like one of the biggest areas full of tents mm-hmm. in in sure. la so they cleaned that up like the boardwalk looks cleaner and i mean you know that probably might have been too heavy if barbie like encountered homeless people yeah but i I would have loved to have seen that you know 
you know, that would have been, I think, more radical to see something like that, where it's like, oh, it's confronting, like, how the real world and, you know, L.A. is known for its glamour, but then it has that ugly flip side, too. Oh, yeah. You know, um, so, yeah, that fascinated me. And then there was a there's a funny car chase sequence that happens in the movie. And um, the whole thing with the car chase was that, you know, it takes place in Long Beach, which is such a weird detour for them to take. Like, you know, because oh, right. Long Beach is nowhere near Venice. Yeah. And, but they end up in Long Beach. But you see, like, the sign for Ocean Boulevard. And I know that that interchange so well. It's basically where the 710 ends and then it meets Ocean Boulevard. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, shout out to Jacob, by the way, Long Beach guy. Jacob, um, Jacob. Yeah. So, but yeah, like the, uh, those parts. And then I, I think when, you know, um, uh, like Ken uh, discovers that men uh, are, yeah. <laughs> are in charge and like, you know, he, he goes to the library yeah. and the yeah. whole thing with, you know, the, the horse... Um, uh, the horseback cops, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. seeing them, like yeah, I love that part. Like that was hilarious, you know. Yeah, I will say, um, like, like the first twenty, the first thirty minutes, like the, the setup of what, mm. like, of of what's happening, pretty good. Yeah, the, the Helen Mirren voiceover is fantastic. Yeah, I, yeah. I really, and then, I mean, I, I would say too, like in the Barbie world, like they they got most of the Barbies right. Like I think, yeah. um, I I you know, there's this whole thing about like representation and diversity but i i actually like the certain barbies like um uh nobel prize winning barbie oh yeah played by okay. alexander ship she was great i i thought kate mckinnon was all right as a ugly barbie or whatever they, oh, yeah. they call her right <laughs> but um but yeah it's just like it gets bogged down and and i I'm, a lot of people mentioned that it, it really does sag once she gets to um you know uh, the real world and then they go back sure. you know that's really the the part of the movie where you know it, it really falls like a you know lead yeah. weight yeah um yeah, yeah I'm, so. I'm with you man i, I will mm-hmm. say like yeah so i definitely did not like the 2001 opening i thought uh, yeah. don't do that but then i mm-hmm. i thought the title sequence was cool it kind of, kind of had a cool graphic kind of sequence um yeah yeah but then def- yeah the first 12 minutes when they're establishing the sincere barbie land and 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 they're playing it straight i was definitely like oh god i don't know if i'm gonna like this movie <laughs> yeah. and like i was i was getting worried that the whole movie was gonna be so like this you know what i mean right and then when she starts having the death trips it's like oh okay and then once you get mm. once you get to day two i was like okay i'm starting to like this now right but um but yeah i definitely agree once once they get to like deep LA and then start to come back, it mm-hmm. it's, it it gets it gets bogged down. Although I do, you know, you know, I don't mind the America Ferrera speech, yeah. um, but just the whole, um, I guess, the device of having to unbrainwash the Barbies, how quickly <laughs> the, the the Barbies were brainwashed. Right, and then like all the Kens are annoying. Like I thought that yeah. I thought Simu. Oh my god, Simu so was super annoying. I thought all the beach off stuff. Like that's clearly <laughs> that's clearly for teenagers to laugh at. Right. But like yeah. I'm, but like they they hit that too much. It was just like a little yeah. a little. It just it's just odd. And then I thought the Allen, sorry, I thought the um the Ken fight was just awful. Mm. I was not oh, okay. into the can fight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then again, another 90s uh, reference there 
with the the song. <laughs> oh yeah, he, he plays right. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that 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 I kind of liked. I, I kind of liked <laughs> them playing a cheesy song for and, hours, and, and then the the girls kind of turn turning it on them. Like that was mm. was was like okay. Yeah. Like, I like that aspect of it. Um, yeah. And you know, in, in just an, another positive, I thought Margot Robbie and Goslin are great. They're they're mm. magnetic. They're they're carrying it. They're doing their best. They're doing their thing. They're definitely movie stars. God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, it was cool just to kind of see them. But then the ending, <laughs> the ending, like it, 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 not just the ending tag, but like the yeah. whole Matrix style meeting the Barbie inventor and then going off into right. like the metaverse kind of deal. Mm-hmm. That was like over that that was over my head. I was just like <laughs> like like what's happening? Um and so I can only imagine if 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 you brought your daughter or, or your son or you know to watch this movie that it's just like at that point this movie is clearly not for kids once you get there. No. No, I mean even before that. I I think the just the mentioning of like the genital glob Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like—is that really a discussion you want to have with your kids when yeah. they start asking <laughs> questions? Like, what does that mean? Yeah, you know, um, uh, yeah, it's just yeah, it, it it definitely falls in between two stools. But you know, I mean, we're we're saying we're probably the minority on this. Like, it seems like everybody's enjoying it. Yeah. I mean, the theater I went and saw it in, it was packed. Everybody yeah. was laughing. I wasn't. I, I I felt like I was so disconnected from humanity. Or maybe I'm just the psycho. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. might be psychos. Like, like yeah. that. Like the, that card is definitely on the table. I don't. I. Yeah. I, I think you. I think you're a nice guy. <laughs> but, no, well, you know that's the whole thing with a psycho, right? You you're able to pretend to be a nice. Yeah, guy, exactly. You, know? you, you can you can cover it up. But um, at the same time, you know, yeah. you know, here we are. We're talking about it. You know, it's right. like like this is part of the enjoyment of Barbie is the talking yeah. about it. And so mm-hmm. we might not have liked the movie. It might not be, you know, it's, it's you know, it might not make our top tens or anything, but you know, it's fun to talk about. It's just one of those, sure. you know? Yeah. We, I mean, we could dedicate a whole episode to this and maybe even have guests. I mean, we could Shoot. go on about it, I'm sure. But uh, I, and one last thing I will say before we move on to Oppenheimer is that, oh, sure. um, I love that there, there is this like link, this America Ferrara link, because some people have been bringing up, uh, an earlier movie that she made that I want to watch actually when she was a lot chubbier uh, she made this movie called Real Women Have Curves oh. and they said like there's a direct connection to that with Barbie n- not just her being in both movies oh, cool. but also you know it's like now it's just funny how we've grown up with her you know like when she was in Ugly Betty and I still remember that whole big deal about her like insuring her teeth for two million because she had like a great smile uh. That's yeah, awesome. and now she's like, you know, you you see her, she's older, she's playing a mom, you know, it's just interesting that That's a trick, I, I wish that yeah. it, yeah, it touched upon that more about like, you know, how her beauty has faded, you know, um, uh, over the years, ironically, f- coming from a show where it was called Ugly Betty, where she's supposed to be ugly, quote unquote, um, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious about real women have curves, maybe it might have more nuance to say about being a woman yeah, Barbie does. I, I feel like I've seen this one. So it mm. might be worth a read. Yeah, it, it's from visit. almost yeah. 20 years ago, early 2000s, uh, yeah, 2002, it I think. Yeah, super so. familiar. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm curious about that. But yeah, let, let's go to the flip side. So 
Oppenheimer, man, like this is actually a big reason why I wasn't able to do Barbenheimer that that opening weekend is because mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think the success of Oppenheimer to me is more surprising. Barbie isn't because of the IP and, oh, you yeah. know, its appeal, but and then also the marketing that they spend. But Oppenheimer is an R-rated movie uh, by Christopher Nolan. Um, I mean, obviously, he, he's garnered a few fans because of his Batman trilogy, but um, the it, it didn't feel as marketable. But, you know, it got carried by that wave, you know, yeah. like Barbie kind of brought it up, you know, so it's like, well, yeah, I got to do Oppenheimer because I watch Barbie. And, totally. you know, I, I don't know if you ever saw that video of, of the lady who had the outfit that she could turn inside out. So it was like pink. And then she could turn it inside out to be black, so she was ready to like switch oh, nice. from Barbie to Oppenheimer. That's awesome. Right, you got the, yeah, you got those people who had like the half clothes, you know, where one half was Barbie. Oh yeah, was, that's awesome. Was Oppenheimer, so that was it. You just go to the next auditorium. But you know, if you really wanted to see it as it was intended, you know, people are saying it's got to be seventy millimeter IMAX, and there's only like a handful of theaters that right. are able to do it. Yeah. I didn't get to you do know. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't think that I was looking um, in your area. Like the closest to you is like Nashville. Nashville, like, I got drive four hours. Y- yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. To watch it in seventy millimeter. Well, right. I didn't drive that far, but I drove to Universal, which is still pretty far. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's uh, where a, we watched John Wick Four. Yes. Um, y- so you've been to that theater, and the reason why I watched it there um, was because in the video that Christopher Nolan like is showing the whole like technical aspect of 70 millimeter and like testing it, he's doing it at that theater at the universal AMC. So that's the gold standard. Plus, you know, it's a universal movie, so it's like on their home turf. Um, So I knew that like they were going to do a good job because they're equipped for it. But, you know, you're hearing these stories of like people who like went to certain screenings and the projector would break down. And the problem with it, Steve, like, I don't know if you're you're into, like, the whole technical aspect of IMAX and stuff, uh, if uh, you know. J- just, like, peripherally, but, yeah, okay. what's up? Well, so you know how it's projected in a different way, right? Oh, yeah. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's not on reels. It's on platters. Mm-hmm. And that was the crazy thing that Christopher Nolan did was that, you know, before this film, there was never an IMAX movie that was more than two and a half hours. You know, um, because that's how much the platter could fit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Oppenheimer is three hours and he told IMAX that and they were like, OK, maybe we can just about make it happen. Oh. <laughs> so they expanded the platter to fit, uh, um, you know, a three hour movie. And, you know, it, it's it's been made like, you know, like known that it's it's 11 miles long. It's it's over 600 pounds. It weighs <laughs> over 600 pounds. So it's impossible to Dang. move. Um, so some of these theaters who don't normally do 70 millimeter IMAX, they were breaking down because of that, because they just couldn't handle it. And also there's not many projectionists who know how to project, it, you know, mm. and obviously because Universal AMC, they still do the 70 millimeter IMAX screenings. They have a guy there oh, or yeah. a girl. I don't even know who that person is, but that person is a hero. Shout um, out to that thi- person. Yeah. 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 The projectionist at AMC, um, like, yeah, they had to do it several times. And because the screenings were always sold out, uh, they had to add midnight screenings and they were sold out too. So there's like, seven, uh, you know, 12, 15 a.m. screenings of Oppenheimer where you get out at 4 a.m. And there was this big deal of too, like, oh, because it's 70 millimeter IMAX, like, there's no trailers. 
and Jared told me this. Like he went to see it in Ontario uh, Mills uh, because you know all the, the Universal screenings were sold out. He had he wanted to see it with some friends, so they had to go th- over there, and they didn't have trailers. But the guy or gal, the projectionist, the legendary projectionist of IMAX AMC, projectionist, yes. yeah, AMC Universal um, City, like did trailers before the movie. So that means they had to switch from like the digital pro- projector to the film projector, you know. Dang. And, and it even includes like I'm trying to look up this person. I can't find the person. Yeah, I'm, right. But, yeah, and- but I found that their salary on Glassdoor, the average IMAX projectionist salary is forty three thousand three hundred forty seven dollars. That's not enough. That's, That's not way enough. too much. If you're switching the reels, come on. Oh, no, you don't Jeez. switch reels. That's what I'm saying, Steve. It's on a platter. But you have to make sure that, yeah, it, it moves. Because, um, you know, yeah. regular film is projected, um, like, uh, vertically. But IMAX is, is projected horizontally. So it's running mm-hmm. through the film. So it's moving from one platter to another. But you wow. got to make sure that it, it does it. You can't just, like, you know, it, it, like, this is the job of the projectionist. I mean, most theaters these days don't have projectionists. All they have is basically people who start the movie, they play it on a hard drive, and then they lower the lights. That's their job now. And then they can do whatever they want. You know, that's really... They're not checking to see if it's playing properly or... You know, I've I've gone to several screenings where they don't even align the the film with the the screen. You know, like I've, I've gone to ones where it's way too high or like, you know, it's boxed in. Like they didn't even expand the image to fit the screen, you Mm. know. It's like there's this quality control that's gone, and Oppenheimer has kind of brought that back, you know, because it it reminds me of like the days when like Kubrick would send instructions to you know projectionists of how his film should be projected, <laughs> you know, and it was like so exacting, like you know the way that you're supposed to mask certain parts of the frame, mm-hmm. you know, it should be at this height, you know, it was just it's crazy, and I mean you know Nolan is kind of considered to be. Kubrick's successor you know he's covering a lot of ground that Kubrick is you know like World War Two and space sure. you know? um yeah I can't wait to see Nolan's uh eyes wide shut <laughs> what oh yeah do? dude Come um on. yeah but uh with this movie yeah it it had to be seen like I I because I, I went back and saw it again on just regular like Limax mm-hmm. you know so yeah. this is for for people who don't know most IMAX screens are are not on film and they're not even the the right specifications for the height because IMAX is a lot more like vertical, like it's a lot, it's a taller frame. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, most so I saw it in LIMAX, and you know it was still good. The sound was great, but like um, the the seventy millimeter experience was just it's something sweet, else, you know. And sweet. just like the the pilgrimage, you know, having to drive to Universal, like make that trip, like it, it's a big deal. And I'm I'm gonna yeah. be doing it again for um for Dune part two. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, because that's also, I think that's the first movie that's been shot in IMAX all the way through. So, um, but yeah, um, I just want to add one more thing uh, before we really like discuss it. Um, oh yeah. I, I want to give you my dad's one sentence review of Oppenheimer. <laughs> okay. Okay. Ready? Okay. Okay. This is one sentence review. Best science movie ever. <laughs> that's awesome. That's <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah, that's what he said. So, you Steve, know you're... I got to echo I gotta echo yeah. your dad on this one. Yeah, I was going to say, because you're a man of science. I am. I am so... a scientist by trade. Yes. I have a master's of, of science, uh, if if you can believe it, Carlo. Wow. What, um, what, what the specific field? Quantum can, theory? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, 
chemical engineering. There you go. So I'd be yeah. knowing about these chemicals. I know what they're doing and moving around yeah, and whatnot. That's a big part of the movie. But yeah. I but I'll tell you what, my, my main connection to nuclear science is um mm. in the year I think it was nineteen ninety seven, I gave an incredible presentation in my religion class nice. at, at, at Alamany High School on nuclear weapons. And this Ooh. was like I think maybe my junior year. And uh, man, people in that class, I, I I like to think that they're still thinking about all, all the knowledge I dropped on them in that class. <laughs> I, they I, still I, haven't recovered. <laughs> you I dropped the bomb. <laughs> I explained the reaction. I oh, talked wow. about the Enola Gay and the fat man and the, and the little boy. I talked about um, how it all relates to E equals MC squared. Carlo, I don't oh, know. If nice. you, I, I don't know if you know that. The big thing with these bombs is a little bit of, you know, with the reaction, a little bit of mass, just a little tiny mm. bit of mass gets transferred into an energy. Oh. And, if, if, and if you look at E equals MC squared, on one side of the equation, you got E, that's energy. The other side, right. you got M, MC squared. The C squared, that's speed of light squared, that's a huge number. So you mm -hmm. put a, a little bit of mass, just a tiny number, gets multiplied by that C squared equals big energy. So I remember explaining that, writing E equals MC squared on the board. Wow. I, we even wheeled in, you know, in the old, you know, in, in, in the 80s, 90s, and even, maybe even into the Oskis, you know, mm -hmm. in, in high schools, were famous for you could wheel in a TV with a VCR yes. attached. Yes. The best time of, of any oh. class when they rolled and that so, out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Incredible. And so you can yeah. imagine me wheeling that baby in, and in the middle <laughs> nice. of my nuclear weapons presentation, Putting in a cassette tape of Terminator Two, whoa! Have it, I have it queued up, and I and I and I show the nuclear bomb scene. Damn, and, and the most accurate depiction. Of oh yeah, nuclear bomb. People were blown movie. away, oh, as man. you can imagine. I explained Literally, the whole yeah. deal. Yes, Amazing. No, yes, pun intended. Yeah, and wow. Um, so I be That's such you a know, great tie-in, Steve. I oh, didn't even you make know, that connection. I, that's right. You oh, know wow. I'd be loving. I'd be loving. This is like <laughs> science porn on the, like, oh, all over shit. this movie. You know, you, like w w when Niels Bohr shows up. You know, I'm like, I'm like standing. Up yeah, like, that, that's Niels Bohr. That's Niels yeah. That's Bohr. what I wanted to bring up too. <laughs> it's like the, this whole like Avengers thing of like yeah. name dropping all these scientists, and I mean, oh. some of them aren't even brought up until like the credits because I didn't even realize like um, uh, Jack Quaid was playing Richard Feynman because oh, you never Feynman. hear him like mentioned oh, yeah. by name. But Feynman is like a guy who I'm oh, like yeah. very um, inspired by because you know he he's one of those guys who bridges like the oh, yeah. the gap between mm -hmm. science and he just like creative it. arts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has that book. What is it? The um, six easy problems. Mm -hmm. And I think I I just can't forget the the intro where he brings up the idea of like um, he he said like some poet told him that a scientist could never appreciate the beauty of a flower. And then oh. he, he goes on to explain of, like, how beautiful a flower is scientifically. Cool. You know, that you can appreciate, like, symmetry and, like, you know, yeah. it, its design and everything in a scientific way. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm definitely more leaning towards the arts. But, yeah, I do actually have a passion for physics and specifically um, astrophysics. Yeah. But, you know, uh, and it's, it's funny, in the movie, it like math was never my strong suit i didn't realize that you could just be theoretical about it and be also weak at math because it's funny how like they passed the buck 
Yeah. Like that like is this, your math is better than mine. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's like you have to have a real sense of imagination mm. and you know to kind of get into the, that Oppenheimer zone and especially yeah. to understand quantum which I don't fully understand. You got to be many really <laughs> imaginative. My god. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I love that that the movie really is a testament to show how like creative scientists are, right. you know, which is rare because you know usually they're just shown to be like um, these very stuck up kind of stuck in their ways type of people. But you know, it really goes to show like the brainstorming. It's the same as like you know people brainstorming for a creative project. You know, totally. the, the the discussions yeah. that they're having is great, and I mean, yeah, what a stacked cast this this movie yeah. has, like. It's crazy, and it's just like you know because I, I pay attention to you know smaller cast members too. Oh yeah, uh, I was just like, oh yeah, it's that guy, and then it's that guy. You know, I mean, Josh Peck shows up in this movie, and then right. uh, our uh, another Josh is in there. Yeah, <laughs> another Josh that we're we're a big fan of, who's having some sort of renaissance. Uh, Josh Hartnett, Hartnett, is also baby, yeah, and he's so good in this. Is he? Lo- he's uh, Lawrence. Yeah, what's yeah? He's what? Lawrence. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, what is his first name? Um, because it's he, there's a town named after him, right? And there's a college uh, as well. Well, um, well at, at Berkeley, there's like a whole laboratory area called the Lawrence Livermore. Oh, right, uh, right, yeah, that's yeah, what I mean. and so yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they're at Berkeley, you know, when he, yeah. he meets him, right? Yeah, then he's they're working next door to each other. Um, but yeah, I love that. That's like a essential, like Christopher Nolan thing of like we're we're gathering a team together of elite <laughs> totally. people, you know. But it's like this time, it's like real life scientists, and um, you know, uh, yeah, the the name dropping is just crazy. Yeah, totally. uh, Heisenberg. Yeah, we're gonna go see Heisenberg now. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, it, um. Yeah, Heisenberg. I was super geeked, mm-hmm. yeah, and excited. You know, you know, he's got so many good contributions to science. Niels Bohr, right. and then, and then, yeah, everyone in that low Einstein, obviously. Then, oh, then Einstein. Yeah, we buried yeah. the lead. Freaking Einstein's walking right. around acting cool. Come on. Yeah, and uh, you know that's what's amazing about what you said at the beginning of just like uh, I wish the movie did that that the connection of the the relativity because the movie plays it off as if like. Um, he didn't really consult with Einstein. Like Einstein had didn't right. want anything to do with it, and that their exchange, which is like the big hook of the movie, is like what did they say to each other before right. you know um, Strauss like came up to them, you I know? Like that. Um, I like that part. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a good hook, and I mean you know that that leads to like the larger thing of what makes this I think a very successful Nolan film is that. Um, you know he's known to play around with time, which is also another you know concept that you know the, um, Einstein has has you know sure. theorized about, mm-hmm. um, and there's that whole thing where that's a lot of the criticism levied against Nolan is that he's just like kind of forcing the time aspect in most mm-hmm. of his movies. It's like sure. it doesn't need to be like um, you know in a like a non chronological order. Um, but for this, it actually works because he, yeah, he manages to balance it and he uses it as like a, a point of tension where it's like you're, you know, like the, the rising action of, of the different story strands like ma- make sense. You know, it's like once you're you're leading up to um, uh, Oppenheimer's hearing, like it's also leading up to Strauss's hearing, you know, and how, right. how he's balancing those 
those two out and then you know like obviously the 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 build up to the the trinity test is also oh, a, a big one God, that he, he dude, does, the trinity know? test scene is yeah. amazing and then it really the, is the speech scene in the gym after like all mm. that is like done yeah to perfection yeah amazing it, it really is and i mean th- again going back to the 70 millimeter imax thing that's really where it, it showcases it because it's like sure. um it's so vertical you know the tower the um mm. the, the actual explosion you know when you see the mushroom cloud sure. it's like um yeah the, seeing that in 70 millimeter was just breathtaking and Ugh. just you know i mean uh, uh most people have probably seen it by now but the the um yeah the silence before the blast yeah. you know is just brilliant wow yeah it's just yeah, and it, that's why I was saying the theater was so well behaved because everybody was quiet. You know, like you couldn't hear anything, not even like somebody munching on their popcorn during that moment. Well, you know, I mean, and it's it just kudos to to the filmmaking, kudos to the editor, kudos to Nolan, mm. like to get a group of people. You know, because I think the Trinity test is maybe two hours in or like an hour forty five in. You know, like like yeah, you, you yeah. Could, like like you're waiting, you're mm-hmm. waiting for for that thing. And when and to kind of get an audience to quiet and to be locked in, yeah. And it's like that's like it's like just textbook great filmmaking. I will say, I found the first getting through the first fifty minutes was a, a bit tedious for me. I just mm. I, I was just getting a little antsy. I was just kind of like, come on, let's get to Los Alamos. Let's go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get to the thing. So like, and you know, and Nolan has that dramatic batman style of just like really making this moment feel impactful and then this moment feel impactful so it's just like you can get a little weary of it Mm. of like how dramatic every 10 minutes is (laughs) but then once the music helps with that score it's just so insistent yeah yeah but but then once you know once you get um matt damon on screen doing oh, this thing. yeah. It's just like you start to settle in. You, you get a better sense. Okay, this is what the movie is going to be like for the next hour. Like the last 90 minutes is incredible. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, that, that's also like a point of contention for some people because people feel like after the Trinity test, the movie like drops off. And I was just like carried by it, you know? I sure. mean, oh, I mentioned the music, but the intercutting really helps a lot. And like, I think mm-hmm. the performances are also enough to carry be yeah. through i mean you know i think this is uh you know rdj's like best performance in years you know oh yeah he's good <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah, doubt. yeah i don't think he's been this good since like kiss kiss bang bang like it's been that long but uh or no as the dead body in the nice guys <laughs> he's brilliant oh. as a dead- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, yeah that'd be pretty good pretty good right yeah, yeah 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 um well like yeah, I, I will say after the trinity test when they start getting into the politics and mm-hmm. like you know, you know, everyone's talking about what's happening. It does get kind of complicated. Yeah. You know, like like the like it's a lot of it's heavy dialogue. It's a mm-hmm. lot of you know trying to understand what someone is saying versus what what's being said underneath, like the subtext, and you know, everyone's being political, mm. and so it. I can see people fading just at how complicated the Strauss stuff kind of gets because like Strauss. Mm. You know the Robert Downey Jr. character. He's he's flanked by a couple dudes. Yeah, they, Alden Ehrenreich is one of the guys. Yeah, and so at first you're they seem like they're kind of on his side, and mm-hmm. then they quickly kind of 
once it, once Strauss kind of gets undressed in the hearing, they kind of talk. They kind of start to show their colors. That actually, no, they kind of have Oppenheimer's side of maybe a yeah. little more than Strauss thinks. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's like that switch is maybe a little like subtle or kind of surprising, I think. Um, but then, yeah, once you get to the Einstein ending, it's like mm. it's really satisfying. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The I, I also I will say this is what carried me through the entire movie is the flights of abstraction. It was really the, you know, you can see the particles like encountering each other, oh, yeah. you know, um uh yeah. like reacting against each mm-hmm. other and um Christopher Nolan, you know, it's made like a big deal about like how he he doesn't use CGI, but obviously there's, you know, <laughs> there's a sure. caveat to that because he still uses VFX and there's sure. still like computers involved in that. Yeah, what the but, hell? But um what? yeah, but uh I think these like moments with the particles they did it the same way like the, um uh Terrence Malick did the um the space sequences in um in Tree of Life which is like mm. they they were actually like mixing chemicals in like cauldrons and like actually filming those reactions. Oh, cool. You know. So they, they those were done practically. They're not like CGI. Wow. Stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of technical innovations in the movie. The other IMAX thing I forgot to mention too was that um, the, there's never been a black and white IMAX movie, Steve. <laughs> Did you notice before this movie? Yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah. So this was the first ever time that they developed black and white IMAX film for this movie. It, it had never been done before. <laughs> this movie. Yeah, so, but the the crazy thing is, you know, obviously. Like I mentioned, the uh, um, Dune Part Two is the first movie that's shot completely in IMAX. This movie isn't. So um, the the one thing that uh, some people might not even be aware of it, and I guess that's a testament to the movie of how you know like wrapped up you are in it. But I I could see it like when it would switch from IMAX to like regular um, like thirty five millimeter because it was just the the framing is different. It doesn't fill the whole frame. You know there'll be black bars at the top and the bottom. And then on oh. top of that, actually, I mean, kudos to IMAX for creating black and white film. It didn't match the black and white of the 35 millimeter. <laughs> you could just tell, like, there would, it was jarring to me, like, how the the contrasts of the two. And I didn't have this problem in the LIMAX digital thing. Like, the black and white was consistent all throughout. Mm-hmm. But in the 70 millimeter, you sense it. You you oh, see dang. when the yeah the black and white changes from IMAX to to regular thirty five because I I don't think they actually got the the um you know the shades of black and white um uh to to match completely and you know um oh, this is the other thing why I guess this movie was like my jam was that I mean it's pretty obvious I guess we both liked it um but uh yeah. um uh, I've I've been obsessed with black and white lately like I've been taking mostly like black and white photos. Uh, of things so like yeah uh, the just seeing that in the movie you know it completely enraptured me through the whole thing and you know i would say maybe 60 percent of the movies in black and white i mean i was the majority of the last third of the film is in black and white Mm -hmm. you know yeah but yeah and we should mention that too that um that was the the purpose of it too that christopher nolan also found a place for it because i'm all about like arbitrary decisions creatively like you know i would be down to just like you know somebody like you can't really explain with tarkovsky why he chooses to mix color in black and white in his films because mm. there's no like 
oh, this this part is in the past and this is like in the present right. or some kind of weird time frame. Like he he switches from color to black and white in the same scene um, sometimes. So I li- I like that idea. But for Nolan, there was a specific purpose for it, which was that um, all the color sequences are subjective and then the black and white sequences are objective. And I'm writing that in quotes um, oh. because I guess it's like how history remembers Sure. It versus how Oppenheimer remembers it, and he did this thing which uh, people laughed at, and I'm I, I saw like a page somebody took like a screenshot of it of his screenplay that he actually did write all the color parts in first person, so he really is, like oh, Oppenheimer, yeah. and uh, you know they highlighted specifically the sex scene. <laughs> like, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> it's not well written at all because <laughs> I mean yeah. yeah we have to talk about Florence Pugh's performance yeah. in, in this, but yeah, mm-hmm. but finish your your thought here. No, no, I mean that's really it. That it, it if if anything, that's still like a, a a worthy criticism to be levied against Nolan is he's just not good at like romance and feeling. I mean, some of the laugh totally. most laughable parts in Interstellar was when you know Anne Hathaway's talking about love and she's like crying, and I'm just like I I can't get with yeah. this. You know, he's just not good at that. Like, uh, that's yeah. just his, his main weakness. He can't... It, it's almost like, I guess, because of his earlier films, especially like Memento, where mm-hmm. the the romance and the love part, like, served the, the plot. You know, it was yeah. just like... It was, it was purely functional that he had, like, a dead wife. And, you know, people criticize him for that, too, even though his wife isn't dead in this one. But it's like he's not a good writer of women... But I actually thought like the initial meeting between Oppenheimer and um and Emily Blunt's character Kitty uh was actually very you know, like how he's describing science and like, you know, attraction and then their hands meet. I thought that was actually well yeah. done. Yeah. yeah. But for the most part, yeah, the the Florence Few parts is just like I know, it's just silly. <laughs> you can make fun of it. Like she she yeah. gets off him and then just looks at his bookshelf. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's just—it's just—it's very yeah. fantastical. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's almost like he—he he was aware he might need a little extra umph in this first thirty for thirty minutes while he's setting everything up, just to kind of keep the the audience engaged or something. Because it's—it seems written by. Someone who's who has never had sex or something, you know. What I mean, <laughs> and this is a married man with like several kids. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's very it's yeah. it's just mm-hmm. bizarre. Um, it's very yeah. like it's a it's it's imagining a woman who's like I don't think very real. Like this kind of like mm-hmm. that. Um, sometimes it, I, I guess it's described as like a manic pixie dream girl kind of thing, mm-hmm. where it's like she's kind of crazy and she'll have sex with you, but then she'll stop and. You know, and do something <laughs> yeah. weird. You know, it's I never like looked it's, at it that way, but you're right. Yeah, yeah, I can see it now. <laughs> it's just kind of a weird, yeah, deal. I don't agree with the criticism of her and like all the mm. articles that are being written. Like she's really being dragged, and oh, that sucks. And then there's like articles I think that that are being written to counter that. They're they're kind of like, no, it's it's, it's all good. Like I like mm. it's like I thought the new like the nudity's fine. Like yeah, you know, like she's cool. Like everyone mm. like. Florence Pugh is cool. Like, yeah, like, like she's good. But um, did you notice like a, a certain part in the movie? Like there was a kind of an Easter egg that Nolan did in her like suicide sequence. Did you notice that? No, no. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I only noticed it on the second viewing. So there's this conspiracy theory that her character, um, who's a real person, obviously, um, yeah, uh, didn't yeah. commit suicide. 
that she was actually murdered, you know, what? that, um, yeah, because yeah. of her communist ties. And um, you actually see it, like, um, when she's, like, she actually kind of screams when she dips herself in the water mm. after supposedly taking the barbiturates. You see a, a gloved, like, black hand, like, pushing her head down. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it just happens for a split second. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I missed it the first time around, but the second yeah. time around I saw it. Damn. Um, yeah, I mean, you know. CIA? What, what is it? <laughs> um, it could be anybody. It could be yeah. Strauss. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Um, but um, uh, uh, Dane DeHaan, what's his character's name? <laughs> he was kind of uh, oh, yeah. a bit sinister too. Um but uh but yeah like uh nolan just isn't subtle like that's just really right. that's not his forte and i mean you know some of the great like american filmmaking masters they're they're just not good with romance or sex you know like uh, spielberg or or scorsese i mean scorsese even like says that he he deliberately tries to avoid it in his movies because you know it's just like he, he i mean obviously in wolf of wall street it's done for laughs but right, you know, yeah. if he's trying to do something serious and romantic, like I, I don't think he really is yeah. comfortable yeah. doing that. And you know, who knows? It might be part of their hangups, whatever. It may be. Um, yeah, it's it's just yeah. yeah. The nudity, I will say, like it is kind of dorky. Like mm-hmm. like the way Killian Murphy is sitting with his legs, <laughs> his crossed. legs crossed. Yeah. Like this is so dorky. Yeah. This is yeah. And I, like, I love the yeah. the people who are complaining that they don't get to see his full frontal. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, just watch him. Twenty eight days later, he's completely naked in that. Yeah. If you want to see his junk, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess I just want to shout out like a few more like uh, other dudes that show oh, yeah. up in the movie. Um, David Crumholtz, I've always been a fan of. He plays a uh, Robbie. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, he's great. He, he's been a child actor. Like I was a fan of his in uh, Adam's Family Values. He's like the the kid who has like all the illnesses that um, Wednesday falls in love with. Totally. Um, yeah. And he was in a movie with uh, um, Michael J. Fox called Life with Mikey, and he was great in that. Um, so yeah, uh, Christopher Denham, who plays like the German um, scientist. Maybe you can remember what his name was. And then yeah, they said that he he's British. He's a really good act, yeah. Okay. Christopher Denham, yeah. He, oh yeah. Um, oh Fuchs, yeah, yeah. Fuchs. Yeah, Fuchs, yeah. yeah. He's the German guy, and then they say later on that he's actually the spy. And oh, then Fuchs um, is the spy, damn it. Yeah, yeah. And then um, James Urbaniak as Kurt Godel. He only has one scene. He's taking the walk with Einstein, and I, I've always been a fan of. It. He's also a great oh, yeah. Twitter follow, by the way. Um, yeah, we follow him, uh, movie food. <laughs> oh, cool. Pod, yeah, cool. yeah. So, um, and, but this is the most random guy. I think he's becoming like Nolan's dude. Um, I don't know if you recognized, but, uh, the weatherman, the military weatherman in the, you know, when they, they're, they're leading up to the Trinity test and he's basically like saying like, yeah, it's, it's stormy. Uh-huh. And then, you know, Oppenheimer's like, you know, it's, it's going to clear up. You know, this is what happens. He, he knows the weather of, of that valley. And um, uh, that weatherman, the military weatherman, I was like, man, I, I recognize that face. And, like, he had a scar on his face. Do you remember that dude? Kind of, yeah. Who was it? Yeah. It's a hockey player. It's Sean Avery. <gasps> yeah. No way. Yeah. And guess That's what? He's also, in, he's also in Tenet. And he Yay. also gets, like, a featured role. Like, he's part of the military crew. Like, you know how they divide. I, sure. I don't know if you've seen Tenet. No. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. I mean... 
Tenet is a, is a movie that's really growing in stature for me. Like it's such a stupid and dumb movie, but it's so enjoyable. Like it's just like yeah, it's one of those movies where he's he's and this was I think Nolan's weakness and I was worried about it with Oppenheimer was that you know, he just does exposition too much, like characters explaining too much. Oh yeah. But it works here. But in Tenet, like yeah, that's that's one of the weaknesses, but if you just stop listening to it, and you know it helps with the you know they were saying like the sound mix of uh-huh. his movies are not very good because you can't hear the dialogue. But by the way, the seventy millimeter IMAX sound mix was perfect, and mm-hmm. the the LIMAX I saw wasn't like the music actually drowned out some of the dialogue in the yeah, in awful. the LIMAX I, version. I, I but hate the, that. yeah, yeah. But um, so it when when the the dialogue is getting drowned out in Tenet, it doesn't matter. Because it's just like, you, why even try to make sense of it? It doesn't make any sense. It's so ridiculous, like, mm. the whole, like, transferring from two rooms. Like, you know, why can't they just go back in the other room? You sure. know, <laughs> it's like um, uh, you can only go one way on it for some reason. I don't know. Oh. But uh, uh, was this Sean Avery shows up towards the end of the movie when they split into two teams. So one team is, like, going forwards in time and the other team is going backwards in time. And he's he's the guy who's like pushing back on their plan. And I'm like, man, Sean Avery is becoming Nolan's dude. Like he's like, that's in- awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, Sean Avery, much maligned, much hated hockey, hockey player. player no yeah, doubt. because he's yeah. so out, uh, outspoken and he's a bit of an asshole. Just always but, in uh, face. Yeah, the whole thing. yeah, and yeah. So he's he's an easy guy to hate, but like he's also. You know, he, he he was trying to carve a career after hockey yeah. where he was like doing modeling and you know, kind of He definitely um, has a thing. Calling, he's yeah. got he's got something. There's no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But I love that he's showing up in Nolan films now. I hope he, he shows up in the next one too. Um But yeah, like I, I love the, the 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 entire cast, all these people that they've they've included in. And we didn't even mention uh Casey Affleck, who only shows up in one kind of a creepy sequence right you know where, where was he again he he shows up when uh when they realize that there's actually like a guy who's spying on oh right he's yeah yeah he's like the uh, the, the interrogator kind yeah. of yeah yeah and i love oh, it's yeah. a, like a goodwill hunting reunion between him and matt damon and they were also in jerry together and, oh nice <laughs> and yeah casey affleck like uh you know he gets um Actually, they were also both in Interstellar, but they never showed up in a scene together. Um, oh. Oh. Uh, and you know, Matt Damon basically like sends him off, like because yeah. the war's going on, so he gets rid of him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's one of those like, oh man, he only shows up once, and then that's it. Uh, another guy who also sho- only shows up in one scene is Gary Oldman. Did you recognize him? Where was he? No. He's President Truman. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the what? A, what a chameleon. No yeah, doubt. don't let don't let that crybaby back in here. <laughs> That's right. That's a great line. Um, yeah, I mean the movie is not without its criticisms. You know, whatever it is with the, it's too long. You know, people have yeah. trouble with its. You know, um, it, uh, how balanced it is. You know, the a lot of people leave after uh, think that it should have ended at the Trinity test. Yeah, but um. But, you know, it's not dealing with, like, the consequences. And it's funny that that's one of the criticisms that's being levied against it is that it's, um, oh, what about the parts that it's left out, you know? Sure. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but it's already covering so much. How much? How long do you want this movie to be? Like, Yeah, I mean, that's the whole <laughs> thing. Like, World War II has been covered to death. And mm-hmm. so it's like, you're, yeah, it's like, you know, they focused on this aspect. And mm-hmm. so... It, 
Yeah, and I, I know some of the blowback was like racial, like you know, why is it you know you drop yeah. these bombs on the Japanese, but you don't show any Japanese and all, mm-hmm. and all there's like all that scuttle, but and you know dropping the nuclear bombs or it's already just like a topic that it only made sense in that specific context. Like any other context, like sounds mm-hmm. awful and villainous right. and the whole deal. It only made sense in that 1945 window of you know of you know do you invade japan we've developed these for the nazis but we mm-hmm. defeated them and that now they're yeah. gone or yeah the moral or they're, or they're scattered yeah. and so it's like it only it. it only works in that aspect and so mm. you know it's like yeah, yeah you're, you're not gonna be able to thread that needle uh, along with all the other ones uh, I thought that they did about as good a job as any, you know what I mean? And, yeah. My- you know, and, and, and it's, it's really about the, the performances. It's about Killian Murphy. It's about Nolan doing his thing and being a visionary. It's about, right. um, you know, um, I thought Emily Blunt was great. I thought yeah. Matt Damon and, of course, uh, our guy, uh, R- Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I would not be surprised if this is the movie that, that gets uh, Christopher Nolan his flowers, you know, like oh yeah, it, it wins big awards. But you know, we have we have a few more coming down the pipeline that might sure. go against it. I mean, I think the main two like big ones really are Killers of the Flower Moon yep. in October, and you know, I mean, Ferrari might be a better biopic. We don't know. <laughs> That's coming out on Christmas, man. So yeah, um, but yeah, I think it's his best movie since Memento. You know, um, I, I have kind of been hot and cold with him, even though I've, I've watched every movie of his in the theater since Memento. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but like, yeah, I know I, I'll be out for the next one. But like, yeah, I, I really feel like this is the one where he he achieves that balance finally, you know, where he gets to do his like time thing. But then also like, yeah, it, it's also relevant to what he's trying to make. Like, he, sure. he really does that. Um, you know, another surprising thing I found out though, Steve, that's uh, just like a random thing. Cause I saw the credit and it was like executive producer, James Woods. And I looked it up oh. and it is actually the James Woods. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. He, right wing favorite. Yeah. Ex favorite. James yeah. Woods. Sweet. <laughs> oh no. He's, he, he's still, uh, oh, you mean X as in tw- Twitter X. I thought, yeah. Yeah. No, I still, I'm sorry. Like I'm, I'm all in on X. I, I think it's just like <laughs> the contrarian in me. Like everyone hates it. So I'm like, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I, I've never updated the app, so I still have Twitter on my oh, phone. Cool. Yeah. But it's funny it automatically. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have mine to do automatic nice. updates That's smart. because That's of that. Problem. But also, uh, you know, I know that the functionality is is starting to like weaken because I can't even see gifts anymore. Like the gifts oh. are just frozen, <laughs> so I know it's like Dude. oh shit. But Step you know, I'll, I'll just look at it on on, de- on desktop. You know, yeah. But fine. yeah, I, in terms of James Wood, it's funny how he's now kind of been blacklisted from Hollywood oh, yeah, and, he's and all that. But man, he. He's making bank off this film, dude. Like he's, yeah. you know, being an executive producer, right. like he's ushering this in. Good grift, yeah. Way yeah, to go, man. way to go, so Woods. Good for him, yeah. Good for him, yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. Um, and I guess it was appropriate, just movie theme that um, my my post movie discussion with my dad was at Bubba Gump after. <laughs> yeah, we ate. What did Gump. you order? Um, I I got the salmon. I mean, oh. Bubba Gump food is just not. That good. Yeah, you it's, know it's, it's it's as as the online kids would say, it's mid. Yeah, yeah. I I, I wanted to go to Margaritaville 
you know, <laughs> well, my dad, yeah, wanted to go bubble gumping since he was paying. Right. I mean, I, you know, yeah, I, I got really. you. Sh- shout out to your yeah. dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, shout out to my dad. Yeah, he loved the movie so much, so that was great. That's awesome to see it. Yeah. All right, so yeah, we just had like a, a mini main course instead oh, of an appetizer it with Barbenheimer. Delicious. Yeah. No yeah, doubt. Um, but yeah, what what else have you been watching, Steve? <laughs> let's, okay, let's get through it. Yeah, um, well, I actually have a new segment I just want to do real quick. Oh, shit. Okay. So you, so you have your – everyone knows Carlos got his canon, the Carlos canon. You watch a movie, and you decide whether it's worthy of being in your canon, which I, I guess we haven't really like described fully what, what that entails. I think mm-hmm. it's kind of self-explanatory. Yeah. But um, I, I will just say, um, just like my criteria for it for our pod is oh yeah. um, that it has to be something I just saw for the first time. Okay. Like, if, if it's something that I've already liked before we started doing the pod, um, it, it it's in the canon, but it, it does, it's not worthy for me to mention it again because it. it's just a rewatch. Got it. Okay, um, cool. Yeah. I like that. Okay. I'm going to adopt yeah. that from, from now on. Nice. But for this first one, it is a rewatch, but we oh, did nice. we did just watch it. And so, you know, so this isn't Steve's canon. So I came <laughs> up with an idea called Steve's Smith Cinnamonian. <laughs> okay. Steve Smith Cinnamonian. Okay. So it's kind of like I the Smith. It. It's kind of like the Smithsonian. Smithsonian, yes. But for cinema, cinema okay. Smithsonian, Smith Cinnamonian. Oh, perfect. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So the first entry into Steve Smith Cinnamonian is seven. I'd be oh, loving seven. Wow. I think I, I, you know, like, uh, you know, I don't really have a canon. Uh, I haven't mm. really been collecting movies, but just on the rewatch, talking about it with you and the great Jacob Rivera. Shout out, Jacob. Jacob. It's in there, baby. I, I, I can nice. watch it. I can watch it at any time. I'd be loving that movie. So yeah, S- seven. It's the first entry in the Smithsonian. Nice. Smith Cinema. Okay. Cool. No, I, I I think that rule for you is is bendable because you know I, I mean I'm always curious what your favorites are. Oh yeah, you know, um, and it, sometimes I feel like when I just ask you that outright, you're like put on the spot. So like sure. I think the gradual reveal over our our, our episodes is is a good way of of doing that. So yeah, like that's a welcome segment I think that we should cool. do. Um, but yeah, Love it's it. just for me. I have so many favorites. That yeah. like yeah, uh, yeah. I think I I I'm only trying to include the new ones, but it's yeah. weird because I do have a Carlos Cannon, but we're not gonna get into it right now. Oh, okay. um, but uh, I'll save it for last. But um, uh, I I I do also count like something that I had seen before, but like didn't like or it didn't quite hit me, and then I yeah. saw it again, and then yeah. I ended up liking it. So yeah, it's funny. Like um, I've already had that a couple times here, just mm-hmm. doing movie food. I remember I had that with Nope. And there nice. was maybe even another one where, yeah, the, the first watch didn't hit, and then I, I gave it a second shot. So yeah, that's uh, oh, sweet. Th- that's a good one. Like that's almost like like a subcategory, and we'll yeah. fig- we'll, we'll figure <laughs> yeah, it we'll out figure as it we out. go. Yeah, yeah, we can we can like um, I guess uh, like talk about that like um, beforehand as like a preamble sure. um, of what what qualifies. But anyway, um, cool. you actually gave me a, an alley-oop, Steve, with your oh. uh, Smithsonian. Um, uh, sorry, am, am I pronouncing it? Smithsonian? Let's hear it again. Steve Smithsonian. 
Smith Cinnamonia. Cinnamonia. Okay, there we go. I'm, I'm getting it mixed up with cinnamon. Um, yeah, but, uh, it's very cinnamon, yeah. Yeah, this is actually also movie food news, but um, yeah, Kevin Spacey, not guilty. Uh, that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yesterday's stories today. It's the movie food dude, news. This, that's big time because, yeah. dude, I'd be yeah, liking he's, some he's, Kevin um, Spacey movies, dude. I'd be liking yeah. Usable Suspects. I'd be liking Seven, obviously. Oh, yeah, that's big time. Right. Yeah, uh, so he, he's not guilty of all the charges in the U.K., which oh is boy. a lot, a big bulk of um, his charges were, wow. were from there because it was when he was like the head of that that theater. Yeah. Um, that you know, apparently all these things happened. Um, yeah. But <sighs> anyway, th- it's not for us to judge whether sure. he did it or not. But there are some damning testimonials, which is just crazy. But like, yeah, the, the whole fact that like during this trial, yeah. presented with those testimonials, the jury decided yeah. he's not guilty is 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 fascinating. Oof. Um. Uh, but yeah, so since we talked about Seven and that same year, you know, he was in The Usual Suspects, I decided to rewatch the Steve. I, I consider, I, is it correct in considering that The Usual Suspects is a Steve Smithsonian title as well? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I would put it in there. Like, like oh, shit. it's definitely one of the ones I th- I, that, especially when I was a young guy, when I was like in mm. my teens into my 20s, if someone asked me what's my favorite movie, it would be yeah. in that top three mix for gotcha. sure. Yeah, I mean, this was your also your pick for um, your favorite L.A. movie as well. Oh, yeah. Um, when we yeah. were doing that for um, Los Angeles Plays Itself. Um, yeah, so I decided I'd revisit it. You know, uh, like uh, I hadn't seen it in a long time. And then, oh. you know, I wanted to compare the Spacey performances. Yeah. Um, and, you know, before uh, like uh, the, the William Friedkin news happened, I actually had a different like opener for the, the show. I was going to do, um, I said, Oflepia. Oflepia for, for real. real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you hear me in the back? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> It's just man, that Benicio performance is so oh, legendary, so and it good. sucks that he's not in the entire movie. Yep, like yep. You know, it's just, it's just, it's such a creation. Like I want to, like, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I wish that there were like acting classes dedicated to mm. <laughs> the Benicio method, because like, yeah. how did he come up with this shit? Like, it's just in English, please. Like. <laughs> Hand me the keys. Yeah, it's like it's just like the quintessential how to do a bold choice. Yeah, like that he he's doing it. He's doing he's doing a bold choice, and it's like, but and he's winning. Yeah, no yeah. Doubt. I mean, even just it's a it's a great physical performance too. The 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 part where he gets picked up, you know, where he's walking and then he's pretending that he didn't see the cops, and he puts like his hand behind his ear. Oh yeah, <laughs> starts walking in the opposite direction. It's oh, hilarious, yeah. and then the. You want to jump in, lover boy? <laughs> he, totally. he like presents his butt to, to yeah. Hockney. <laughs> totally. Um, but yeah, like uh, yeah, like you said, this is like an early favorite. I mean, I think this is this was definitely like an entry level to cinema for me. Oh, and I forgot to mention, there's a tie into Friedkin as well because you know he worked with Benicio del Toro on The Hunted, and that's another Friedkin movie that I want to watch. Mm. You know. And I love that there's a freaking story too of how he compares Tommy Lee Jones and Benicio's acting style, and like how Tommy Lee Jones is like a consummate professional who just like knows his marks, and yeah. you know has has did done his homework for the character, everything he knows his character, and Benicio is just like, why do I walk into this door? 
like <laughs> he has you know those actors kind of frustrate me like you know when sure. I have to deal with those actors on my own projects where they they just ask a lot of questions that are like can you just figure that out yourself like can you yeah. do the work <laughs> totally <laughs> it's just like, they're, they're relying on the director to give them all the answers and that yeah i've had like a lot of pushback with those actors but you know i mean that it, every actor has their own method of and obviously you can't deny the results with benicio so oh yeah um but yeah so the usual suspects i i i don't think i've, I've seen this since uh I had like a VHS tape of this, oh, like wow, in, in the early 2000s. Yeah, dude, it's been a long time. Like it was given to me as a Christmas gift. I mean, it was like um, they knew that I liked the movie from like my wish list, so it wasn't like they just randomly oh the Usual Suspects. But it is a funny thing. Like when uh, a friend has mentioned this to me before too, that um, when when you're talking about movies like in public with other people, like usually there's there's like some middle-aged in, in new york anyway there's a middle-aged like italian guy <laughs> or some you know middle-aged <laughs> irish guy who okay. always chime in it's like you guys talking about movies the usual suspects now that's a movie oh yeah I love- <laughs> there's always that guy who chimes in <laughs> that's awesome i'm that guy but like west coast like socal style yeah yeah how would that sound steve <laughs> bruh <laughs> oh come on you gotta check it out no, dude oh, oh killer. dude this movie's killer yeah, bro yeah. oh it's killer dude yeah so it, it was definitely a formative movie i mean you know that poster was legendary and i wasn't old enough to watch it obviously when it came out um so i actually read the script before i ever saw the movie dude. and it, it's funny because like you know reading the script like there's no ambiguity in the script like Christopher McQuarrie um, actually mentions it in the introduction that it's like, yeah, um, Kaiser Soze is, is verbal. Like, you know, it, oh, there's God. not like I, I feel like the movie plays it off a little more like openly. It's like yeah. maybe he made it all up. Um, but like, yeah, he, he says that it's the case because it's like um, uh, what's this? The direct translation of um, of Soze is verbal, he said. Um so so that's that's the indicator that he is mm. um but yeah so it, it is kind of an entry level movie for me but i just don't i i feel like i don't love it as much as i sure. used to you know but uh it is fun to like hit all the beats totally. of the movie like uh not even just like the the famous lines you know like uh one of the like more scenes scene stealing scenes in the the interrogations because uh, you never see the cops that are interrogating them. It's like their backs are to us. But the mm. one guy who's like, you know, you're you're, uh, what what business are you in? The restaurant business. You're now in the getting fucked by us business. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna make you famous, cocksucker. Yeah, <laughs> and so just like funny. the the character names are hilarious. I mean, like, what kind of writer goes out of his way to like name a character? whose name is spelled in a certain way but pronounced in a different way like i i would imagine most writers would avoid that you know especially mm. in screenwriting that you know they name Chaz and Palminteri's character Kuyan and it's spelled Kujan right <laughs> and it says there's a note in the script of how it's pronounced and i mean i loved also uh, this is the brilliance of you know and he won an oscar for this script uh, christopher McQuarrie. it's a really well written script like mm. you know a lot of the dialogue is as it's written and then also um uh the i love that how it describes every character in a police description kind of way 
mm-hmm. of like you know uh, race, um, hair yeah. color, eyes, and then you know height or you know th- those kind of things. You know, sure. so I love that that um, he he takes that that tone with with the script. And um, yeah, another moment that I actually love that I think is like repeatable is the. Uh, it's not even like a scene. It's just like a little sequence. So another innovative thing about the movie is that it's one of the few movies that has uh, the editor and the composer are the same person, John Ottman. Oh. So he edited this movie and he's also the the guy who composed the music. So he can pace the scenes to his music. Oh, yeah. So... So That's there's awesome. a part where they're getting ready for the the, the NYPD like uh, finest taxi service heist, and the plane is landing, and the 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 jump cuts of the plane landing are paced to the music, and the score is brilliant. You know, it's such mm-hmm. a good score. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say this and Goodfellas are like the two best like edited crime movies of the '90s. You know. Um, uh, but yeah, I, uh, ultimately, I feel like I, I like the Kevin Spacey performance in, in Seven better as John sure. Doe yeah. over Verbal. Like, I think he should have won for John Doe instead of Verbal. Sure. <laughs> you know, because I, I think like when he, especially the parts where he's like, um, it, it, that really took me out of it. You know, it's like, how do you shoot the devil in the back when he's like kind of trying to emote and shit? Yeah. Like, I just don't buy it. <laughs> sure. What yeah, if you yeah. miss? Yeah. <laughs> He's God. crying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's the perfect movie to see when you're like young, because mm-hmm. like because you, yeah. you can get because you can get caught up in the violence, you get caught up in how cool everyone's acting. Um, you know, opposite of Barbie, I think this movie is for me. Like this was like for <laughs> right. like it's tailor made, mm-hmm. and then um, you know it's got the it's got the humor mixed in. It's got the characters with one names. You got Dan Hadaya yeah. doing his thing. You got Giancarlo Esposito. Oh, I didn't even mention him. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. and then you have a twist ending, which is like right. when you're when you're young. Oh my god! If a, if a twist ending can get you, like yeah, you'll you'll celebrate that movie for the rest of your life. Hence, right. Hence me. Yeah, and know? the '90s was like the decade for twist endings. I feel like you know, yeah. capping it off with with Six Sense. Oh yeah, um, and Fight Club, by Ooh. the way, yeah, they both like came out in the same year with with mega twists. Yeah, um, totally. But was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was ninety nine the end of the twist ending? That's a good. That's a yeah. Movie. I mean, I don't think it, it's been topped since. Like, it's hard for me to think of. I mean, you know, obviously, um, Identity uh, M Night Shyamalan continued yeah. with the twists, but it just didn't quite work. Yeah, Identity is kind of a cheesy twist. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, <laughs> it's not my favorite. Yeah, um, I mean, I enjoyed it, but like, yeah, it's just, um, yeah, it's kind of a cop Shutter, out. Um, is, is there a twist in Shutter Island? Yeah, or? yeah, there is too. But yeah. I, I, I also have problems with Shutter Island. Like, that's one of my least favorite Scorsese's. Well, but um, well, I'm happy you revisited this, and it seems like you still love chunks of it. Yeah, yeah. You don't I, like there's the, there's rewatchable you know. scenes in it, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but I, as a oh. whole, like, it's not like it's not Carlos canon. Sure. worthy you know and then obviously the the certain issues that i have with it too like with brian singer and then also uh, yeah it's just something that i can't get over <laughs> with brian singer like it's, it's hard yeah. for me to reconcile that um, yeah even yeah singer and even you know spacey getting right you know it, it, with the not guilty there's still a little bit like well but, yeah. but what happened and it's still mm-hmm. it's it's still you know like obviously we're pulling for the truth it's mm-hmm. not our business necessarily to speculate, but there's definitely right. a, a stink over a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So it's yeah, it's a very tainted film. I will also say, um, since I hadn't seen it since VHS, man, like I saw it in 4K, and it looked great. Oh, like cool. I mean, you know, because I it, it's shot on film, and then it's also they chose to shoot it um, in CinemaScope, so it's like really wide. Um, and yeah, like it really just looked incredible. You know, I was yeah. like, man, um, I had the, the cinematographer, Newton Thomas Siegel, I think he also shot drive. So yeah, he's a really good LA cinematographer. Nice. You know? So, okay. I have mm. a question for you. Mm. So you've read the script. Yeah. A big part of the movie is like, there's like a, a, a still camera shot. That's it's maybe pushing in on like, there's a scene at the docks. Mm-hmm. Where the fire's breaking out, but th- but the shot is of like ropes and like m- equipment mm-hmm. and like stuff, and and they yeah. show it at the beginning and you're, you don't you don't know what it means and then they show it again um, when they when they actually do the big dock um, mm-hmm. scene where they go in to try to get Kaiser Soze or you know you know yeah. whatever, and you're led to believe that that's where Verbal is hiding. Right, but then you find out that actually Kaiser Soze is is verbal, right? And so, in the script, like, how is all like? Do you remember how that shot is handled? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's in parentheses. It basically is saying that um, uh, it's also implied by like the cut to, um, mm-hmm. like segue. So it's like cutting to verbals like um, uh. Uh, testimony uh, he's he's hearing oh, okay. so yeah 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 when he first okay. like talks so that that's implied within that um that it, it's okay. his perspective but yeah obviously it, it makes no sense if you're you're looking at the final like climax on the boat that you know how can he be at two places at once you know especially the mm-hmm. part where um uh hockney gets shot you know when he discovers the van full of money yeah and um uh, shout out to Kevin Pollack, by the way. Oh, yeah. His performance is also hilarious. The fuck your father in the shower and have a snack. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> it's um, funny be, be, because at the time, I, I think I was watching like Comedy Central and he was popping up as like a stand-up or I don't remember. Yeah. He, I, I remember he, I, like I was seeing him uh, in yeah. things. And so then, then to see them to see him in this drama was, was really cool, I remember. Yeah, yeah. He, he really created that balance. He was also in Casino. You know, really? That's right. um, yeah. So he was like in these serious movies, but then yeah, he, I mean, he had a podcast too. I don't know if he's still doing it, oh, but um, cool. yeah. So yeah, he, he he balances that very well. He's a very funny guy. But yeah, that Dollar. so but that sequence where he gets shot, it suddenly cuts to verbal, and he's in his like hiding spot. But you know, you assume that he gets shot by Kaiser Soze because yeah. it's like there's that glow. It's almost like the Pulp Fiction suitcase kind of glow. Exactly. You know, because yeah. it is that kind totally. of um you know the the mystery mm-hmm. that central mystery of who he is um yeah but yeah i again actually tying it up to the 4k aspect of it you you know there's certain things in film that you could have gotten away with with like shadows and stuff but with 4k you know you can obviously like pause it and you know you you get like these freeze frames that are just like you know um pretty clear so i i was definitely watching out for the kaiser soze parts and um, uh, I didn't recognize who was Kaiser Soze in the flashback and where, you know, he kills the family, which goes to show how brutal he can be, that he kills mm-hmm. his own family and, yeah. or, you know. Um, but in the um, the two specific moments on the boat where it goes back, yeah, it's pretty clear in one part it's Gabriel Byrne. And then mm-hmm. the 
it's a very quick flash. Like I had to like, you know, go back several. I had to frame by frame pause it, um, like to the millisecond to get it. But yeah, you see Kevin Spacey as Soze. Um, yeah, in the in the last shot, you know, when when basically Kuyan's like piecing it together. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, it is. Uh, just to wrap it up, it's just like yeah, it is a great like I think introduction to movies like. I mean, it's just crazy to think that, like, my godson is, is going to be a teenager, like, this decade. Like, uh, that would definitely be one of the movies I would introduce him to, you know, if his sure. parents will let me. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> or I'll just tell him, like, yeah, don't tell your parents. We'll, yeah, we'll yeah, watch yeah, yeah. She's Just Suspects. You know? yeah. Like, that would be it. I, I, I'd get him to watch Goodfellas, too. <laughs> you know? Totally. Um, yeah, they're just great entry-level movies, you know. Um, Absolutely. No yeah. Doubt. All right. So, just a few more quick ones for me before we head into our main course. Um I, I watched Equalizer two, and I've also seen Equalizer one recently. But I'm the reason why I watched it was because I'm I'm gearing up for Equalizer three. I didn't oh, yeah. even know that there a third one until I started seeing the trailers pop up, and I was like, man, I should catch up on this. And it's like, man, this is like Denzel's like John Wick, yeah. <laughs> it, it pretty much is his. Yeah, it, it it's almost as gory as John Wick. I mean, the the first one like. The the finale is just crazy, but I I think the second one is a stronger movie overall, uh, even mm. though it's not as gory as the first one. Um, you know, but I love that like in the first one he's a Home Depot employee, and then in the second one he's a Lyft driver. So he's like all, all these menial jobs he's doing, but he's also like this killer. Yeah, <laughs> it's oh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> you know that he can like basically fracture your arm. And I, I thought of this of our uh, you know Mark for Death episode because. He's definitely taking from the book of Steven Seagal with like breaking oh, your arm in multiple yeah, places. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got to watch these then. Yeah. I love Oh dude, kind of yeah, cool. you should catch up. Um I already talked to Jacob about like watching the third one together in the theater so we're going to oh, cool. uh, watch that. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, yeah. yeah, it's it's they're a lot of fun. I mean the the only flaw I if I really had to nitpick is I just don't think um Anton Fuqua is like a like a memorable director like he directs the action well enough but he's just not john woo or he's not even chad staleski you know it's just like there's there's something anonymous about the way he he shoots stuff but like he's doing some slow motion parts where i'm like damn why don't you just like carry that through there's like no consistency i mean uh you know because the best denzel action movies are um the tony scott films obviously so mm-hmm. you know you can see that there's definitely a style with the tony scott films even like with that uh, remake of taking a pelham one two three you know uh, tony scott's style like carries it through but yeah uh was kind of an anonymous uh workman craftsman director you know sure. <laughs> craftsman <laughs> yeah okay. so yeah but that's it um so another one i rewatched Oh uh, no! I watched for the first time recently. This is actually a new release, a 2023 release. I watched um, Shin Kamen Rider. Oh, I do not know this. Okay. Oh shit! Uh, so I was a big fan of Kamen Rider as a fan, uh, as a as a kid. Like it was, um, uh, it was. I was knew it as Mass Rider, and it was dubbed in Tagalog in the Philippines. Okay. Like, and it was a great show. So it's about a guy who like transforms in like this kind of grasshopper superhero with like a motorbike. And it's like action packed, and it's part of um, Hideki Anno's like um, larger like project of like going back to these like childhood favorites and doing his own version of it. You know, so this is I I heard it's just a trilogy, but I wish he would make more. So he, the the first one he made made was Shin Godzilla, which I haven't oh, seen, yeah. and I also haven't seen uh, Shin Ultraman. 
Um, but I'm also a big fan of Ultraman. That was also a childhood favorite of mine. And come to think, I think Mass Rider and, and Ultraman were shown together um, as a kid. I remember like it was like Sunday afternoon. They would show them back to back. It was Tight. the best. Okay. Um, so I love that he's he's doing that. And you know, uh, if Anno sounds familiar to you, it's probably because you know he he's n- more well known for Evangelion. You know, yeah, um, that's really that's, his claim to fame. That's yeah. something that I hear is actually like sneaky, like and smart and intelligent. Like like it's not just like fun anime. Right. So, like, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of like curious about it. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Because also like you know it's it. It deals with mechs, which is still something that I'm a big fan sure. of, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, just on the basis of this film alone, it makes me want to seek out more of Anno's stuff because he also has a weird filmography with like the the non like IP stuff he's done. So like, um, uh, there's this film he made in '98, which I uh, I'll admit like I've started watching, but like something always happens, like I end up falling asleep. Sure, <laughs> but it, it's not a knock against the movie I just always choose to start it late it's this movie called Love and Pop and okay. it's like it's one of the first like digital video movies and it's incredible like you know I mean I, I may like it more than Shin Kamen Rider because yeah Shin Kamen Rider is not perfect like it's it like gets bogged down in sentimentality which sucks but mm-hmm. it's such a creative movie and I think that's his approach to everything like he's always just innovative um, with his approaches you know and like the the excitement with love and pop is that you know shooting in video he's like putting the camera in places where film cameras couldn't go before you know like you could never fit a film camera in a microwave and he does like several microwave shots in the movie you know if you had to do a microwave shot uh before on a film camera you had to have like a hollowed out microwave you know where it just has the husk yeah. but this one they he he legit puts the camera inside a microwave um so it, it's innovations like that. He's he just like clearly seems like he's he's an original creative dude. So I'm I'm excited yeah. to like delve more into his stuff. You know, cool. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, one last one before I go into Carlos Cannon, I watched um, I rewatched The Killer, which technically is a Carlos Cannon, but I liked it before the podcast, so sure. I, it's not it doesn't count. But I watched it as it wasn't intended. Which was dubbed in English, <laughs> badly dubbed in English. Oh, um, and oh man, I had a blast. Oh shit, like it's this so is, bad. This is mm-hmm. the Chow Yun Fat. Yeah, yeah, the John yeah. Woo Chow Yun Fat legendary movie. Yeah. Um, you know, one of his last two movies he made before going to Hollywood. Um, and you know, it's like the, this and Hard Boiled are like the two pillars of John Woo. Oh yeah. People say like, I I lean more towards Hard Boiled because. I mean, this is actually part of why the English dubbing actually makes it worse. That it's just such a sentimental movie. Like, all the mawkish parts of the movie are so awful. Uh-huh. And, like, you know, I wasn't even a fan of Sally Ye's performance um, in the original. But, like, it being dubbed makes it even worse. Oh, like, God. her screaming and stuff is just yeah. so bad. Um, but it, <laughs> it was it was hilarious. Like, it was so much fun. And then, you know, like... Um, 
uh, one of my favorite albums, and you know, shout out to hip hop celebrating its 50th anniversary, only built for Cuban Links, the first one, um, oh, yeah. with Rake One. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it uses the samples from the dubbed version of The Killer, so it was great to like see those scenes oh, that cool. uh, the RZA sampled where I was like, oh, shit, this was from The Killer, but I just never put it two and two together because I always That's just awesome. saw it in Cantonese and subtitled, but to see the, the English the dub, dub version of it, it's like, oh, shit. Like, yeah, he, he, like, I think steals from it three times and it's a funny story like Rizzo talks about it of like how um he was such a big John Woo fan before you know John Woo came to Hollywood and like he actually met him and John Woo like liked him so much that like he said yeah you can just use the the samples for free like you don't That's even awesome. have to pay me That's for awesome. it so yeah so he never has to clear the samples for the killer because <laughs> yeah. I mean it even uses the score of of the killer at the beginning of only built for mm-hmm. Cuban links so you know that iconic opening that's where it's from it's from this movie so Man. yeah that's awesome it was great yeah all right so well we reached the end of the appetizers and ooh, I got ooh. a Carlos cannon here we go oh wait <laughs> nah it's got to take <laughs> Carlos Okay, right. so I'm glad now we're balanced out, Steve, that you have your Cine-Smithsonian. Smithsonian. <laughs> I'll always mispronounce it, but... <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah, we we now have both. I'm glad because, you know, yeah. it, 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 yeah. it, it, it really is a show of us. It's not just me. So That's right. I'm we're glad that you have yours. Yeah. So, Together um, we triumph. Exactly. Um, so this one, it, um, adding that qualifier, this is a movie I saw... Um, when it came out, uh, sort of like I didn't see it in the theater, but I saw it as soon as it came out on DVD, um, and I just didn't think it was it was all right. Like it was, I thought it was a fairly forgettable movie. Like I thought it was rambling. Mm. Um, I didn't realize that I was just not ready for it, you know. Oh, and this was nice. the time to watch it. And this movie is um, Francis Ford Coppola's Tetro. Whoa! Yeah, whoa, whoa, and. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, and maybe it's feeding into my like you know um, uh, current obsession with black and white. You know, it's it's one yeah. of those movies that a modern movie that's shot in black and white. It's also um, one of the earliest like uh, of the the new digital technology around that time. Like it was one of the first, and I, I learned that the cinematographer actually was also the cinematographer for Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. I'm blanking on his name now, but um, but yeah, it's just beautifully shot. It's an incredible film, and especially considering how, you know, it feels like Vincent Gallo is now wrapped more in mystique and he's playing into that. Like, Mm -hmm. it adds more to that performance in this film. And, you know, it's one of his best performances, I feel. Um, He's so good. And, you know, tying to to, um, Oppenheimer, it's it's the first role for uh, Alden Ehrenreich. You know, and he's also in black and white (laughs) in this movie. Yeah, and this was like kind of um, this was um, Coppola's like second comeback movie because you know he had made Youth Without Youth uh, with Tim Roth, but hardly anybody saw that. But this was the movie where everybody's like, okay, Coppola's back. You know, he's like, this is he's 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 on that level again. And I agree. You know, and but it's it's weird. It's not the level of. His seventies movies, it's not Godfather or sure. or Conversation or um Apocalypse Now, but it's um it's on the level of the eighties movies. I, I think, you know, some people rightly consider this to be kind of a spiritual like um follow up to Rumblefish, which is also in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um and I can see that. It's like more dreamlike. 
And I think that was my problem when I first saw it, that I was just like, man, this movie's kind of just rambling. Like, it, it felt aimless. Like, it wasn't really heading towards anything. Uh, even though, you know, talk about twists, there is, like, a reveal at the end of the movie, um, which I completely forgot about. <laughs> um, but I won't spoil it for you uh, nice. or our listeners. But um, it's not that important, actually. Like, I, I think it's, it's more like a footnote to the end of the movie to me rather than mm-hmm. some big revelation. But... Um, but yeah, like I think now I'm more, I guess, open to to things kind of being rambling and aimless, and I'm more mm-hmm. on board with it if it's like ambitious, and that's what it is. Like you know, I mean, just choosing to shoot it in black and white, it's yeah. such a visionary film. You know, like he he introduces us to this like art world, almost like a theatrical world in in Argentina, um, and yeah, you 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 rarely see that in cinema and you know I love movies that are closer to dreams than than reality and he definitely does that and you know I'm hyped um for yeah. I don't know if it's coming out this year or maybe next year but you know he's he's basically mortgaged his uh his or he sold his wine company to make uh, Megalopolis so um oh, yeah. I'm excited yeah like that it, and it could be his last movie you know um wow. so but yeah just that's part of my impetus for going back to rewatching tetro was because megalopolis is coming around and i was like yeah let me go back and watch tetro again and yeah it's it's brilliant yeah i love nice. it nice in yeah. the canon that's good to hear yeah man. it's in Sweet. the canon and uh the movie kind of has a little tie to a movie that i think is coming up in, in a way just like oh like a little artistic a little interesting choices and sure. uh, in south america yep. so yeah yeah, Rock I can see that. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, that wraps up our appetizers. Which means yeah, we're now time. at the main course. Let's go. It's time for the main course. Yeah. So Carlo, here we are. Saving the best for last. We got nice. the main course. Thank you. Oh, hey, Vanessa. Uh, so yeah, Carlo, which, uh, yeah, what main course do we want to dip into first? What are you thinking? All right. So, um, yeah, for this episode, we decided to go back to an old, um, uh, mm. staple of ours, which is, uh, favorites, you know, I think this is like our long-term, yeah. like big picture project is that we're going revisiting favorites, watching each other's favorites, Oh yeah. you know, um, uh, so I, I asked you to make a pick and I already had my pick in mind for a long time because this is a movie I've wanted to discuss but let's go with your pick first so let's okay. go with Cloak and Dagger Cloak and Dagger this is from 1984 of course yeah. it stars the great Henry Thomas yes come, hot off of E.T. and probably some other stoof mm-hmm. and um, the reason why I wanted to watch this was I, I, I've seen this movie one other time previously uh, and it was like in in the 80s I was young and I remember loving it. I yeah. remember like, but I, I, the plot, I could not remember. I just remember <laughs> Henry Thomas and the girl walking around with these cool walkie talkies, seemingly having the ultimate kid adventure, right? Just being, just being out and about and that, and that, as a young kid, man, that looked awesome. Yep. And so I was really nervous to rewatch this as like, okay, will it hold up? Can I at least see why I liked it? Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really happy that I finally got to watch it, you know, 30, God, yeah, 30 plus years later. Have you ever seen this movie? Like, do you have a history with this one? 
Uh, I have not. Yeah, I. Okay. I mean, I'd never even heard of this movie until you mentioned it. Like, I. Yeah, it was just like, yeah, this is completely new to me. So yeah, I'd never seen it. But you know, okay. it's funny how peripherally I'm familiar with certain things about it because you know Richard Franklin um, mm. made Road Games, and I'd seen that movie like fairly recently, like maybe in the past year or so. And I know um Jade and and Kay. Uh, friends of the show are are big fans of, of that movie. Oh, so yeah. um yeah. Uh but yeah, I I'd never heard of it be- before um you mentioned yeah. it. So sorry for for making you watch what is clearly <laughs> a kids movie, but I will say this thing ha- it, this thing is like the way I describe it on the rewatch, it's a kids movie, but it's like commando for kids. <laughs> like it's totally in 1984 People are used to violence. They're used to chases. They're used to seeing guns. They have no problem with p- people shooting at these kids <laughs> with like yeah. silencers. Uh, it's kind of a wild kind of deal. And then you mix in some Dabney Coleman and some Bill F- Forsyth in there. And um, it's kind of, a, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like, it definitely on the rewatch, just like top level thoughts. It, I was definitely intrigued. I was definitely like, yeah. what, what is happening? Um, you know, but it's definitely, you know, obviously the plot isn't great. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it's been compared to, um, you know, you're saying commando for kids. It's been compared to being like a Hitchcock movie for kids. And I, I oh, think, you know, interesting. Because, yeah. Cause he's made like spy movies, you know, or like the wrong man type of deal where, you know, like this, this main character is like, in over their head with you know uncovering like this conspiracy mm-hmm. you know that's one of uh hitchcock's like favorite tropes oh, in, yeah. in his movies so oh, that that's I, like that. I think what it's compared to a lot but also like i guess i when you mentioned the title and then it being from the 80s like i confused it with other 80s movies sure. that are oh, also God. kind of for kids but more like i guess a little older like teens like um, war games Yep. Which uh, Dabney Coleman is also in, by the way. Yeah. And then um, uh, Vision Quest, you know, the the Matthew Modine. I think it mm-hmm. came out, yeah, a year later. Yeah. Um, yeah, from 85. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I would say, like, uh, yeah, the opening of the movie was fantastic. Like, just. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was Black, so silly. Yeah. Yeah, Jack Black. And then just um, uh, initially I was like, <laughs> am I watching Top Secret right now? Like, because it just had that kind of goofy American, yeah, it's like yeah. his parachute is an American flag, like that's the deal. <laughs> and then just how it zips up in his back. Oh yeah, and then like um, and then yeah, you're you're mentioning it's a movie for kids, but yeah, it's a very bloody movie. Like you see, like that one girl get you, when the bullet ricochets when she's meant to shoot um Jack Flack, and then it kind of ricochets and then hits her in the chest, and then you see the blood come yeah. out, which you know you don't see. In, in live action kids movies anymore like I mean even Christopher Nolan actually let's just say that like his PG-13 movies are fairly bloodless yeah you know? th- like um, I think Jack Flack kills at least like three people in that first <laughs> sequence right which is pretty awesome like it's, yeah. like it's in it's in Moscow or it's like in you know it's like like it's, yeah. uh, you know it's, you know it's kind of like bar you know in a way it's kind of has a Barbie oh yeah t- tie-in <laughs> here yeah, we we see the yeah. What is it? The six sided die. Yeah, you see dice. Giant. <laughs> yeah, and that's the the top secret part that I was wondering. I was like, man, that seems like some, yeah. something straight out of Zaz. That yeah. you see these giant dice like rolling. 
Yeah, and like similar, you have America Ferreira kind of talking to Barbie and working things out. Here you got Henry Thomas's character Davy talking to Jack Flack throughout the film mm. as like his guide, as like a spirit right. animal or something, just kind of helping him, having a toy kind of guide you through a through a calamity. Um, but and this is clearly oh, right. this is clearly like the boy version of like the Barbie kind of movie. Sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I. I, I... The other funny thing to me was that it took a while for me to put two and two together that, you know, Dabney Coleman was both his dad and Jack Flack. Yeah. For some reason. Pretty <laughs> like, cool. It just, like, I didn't realize it initially. Like, I guess I, I was like, man, is, is Mr. Osborne Jack Flack? Like, I, for some reason, mm. like, I was having this cognitive dissonance. Right. I couldn't be, put them both together. I was just well, like, yeah. oh, so that was the projection that his dad is the hero. Yeah, you know, and, which, like, his dad his dad is a military guy as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of like in his imagination, his dad, yeah, is this hero guy, mm-hmm. which is admirable and pretty cute. And I think ultimately that's what kind of ties the movie or kind of helps kind of keep it going because, mm-hmm. you know, you, 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 you really do feel – the connection between Henry Thomas and Dabney and right. they're missing the mom. Um, I will say is Carlo the top level question. Is this the quintessential San Antonio movie? <laughs> I was just about to bring that up. Yeah. Cause there's not many movies that are shot in San Antonio, <laughs> um, exactly. but yeah, it's, it's such a rare movie location, but I, I think it makes great use of it. Like, you know, I, I really love the location of the river walk. And that's a, yeah. a crucial scene. That's one of the highlight scenes for me is the, um, the the chase. Yeah, you know the where walk scene. all the tension of him trying to get on the boat, and then it's like, oh, the the guys after him are not gonna get on the boat because, and then the the woman forgets something, so they have to get off, and then they get on the boat, and now it's like this whole thing of like they're trying to get <sighs> closer to him. Yeah, yeah, and they, th- those guys are so mean. Oh, oh yeah, man, yeah. But yeah, and then this, it's our introduction to the the old couple. Uh, I can't remember their names, but like right. how you know, speaking of plot, George twists, and you know, Eunice. How... George and Eunice. Uh, I'm reading. Here. I looked it yeah. up. They they were actually married in real life. So you oh know, nice. So there they played go. the couple perfectly. Um, but yeah, another weird and tie-in then, is. Uh, and then, but but I will say they go back to the river walk a second time. I think the river yeah. walk's in there at least twice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it, that's another highlight scene too. But I also just want to point out that um, in terms of San Antonio, Henry Thomas was actually born in San Antonio, so he's he's shooting in his hometown. Oh, sh- way to go, um, HT, dude! Yeah, <laughs> some pull, like, 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 like. I wonder if that was his idea. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, after or, ET. or if there was like some constraint there. That's like you know, like where it's like you know he 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 had to. Yeah, be yeah, they were like, oh, it school. might be just logistically. Yeah, but um, in in terms of trivia of the location too, I I didn't realize that, uh, the Alamo scene like wasn't shot in the Alamo like because um, apparently it's like a sacred site. Oh. Um. So out of respect, um, sure. for the natives, like they they don't shoot in the Alamo, and I I guess they don't allow it as well. So they they actually had to shoot that in Universal. Yeah. Studios. Um, okay. So yeah, as was the opening Moscow sequence. That's also in the Universal Studios backlot. Oh yeah, that 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 looks like a backlot, no doubt. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, it, it could actually be part of um, the Wizard. You know, like they shot in the same backlot of the finale yeah. of the Wizard. That's a yeah, good point. I mean, another Universal yeah kids movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also like the um, 
they got they got some really good shots of the Japanese garden. I guess that's out there in San Antonio. There's a whole mm, sequence, you know, where yeah. they're where the goons are after Henry Thomas in the garden. Mm. Yeah, yeah, really cool. Yeah, that was beautiful. Um, yeah, and just going back to the the river walk when they um, you know, the next sequence. I mean, that to me was the part that I laughed out loud the most was um obviously the yeah you mentioned the guns shooting at the kids and then that part where henry thomas is being chased and then he's being shot out by the main guy the main henchman guy um he he runs towards the latino dude <laughs> the latino dude catches the strays <laughs> oh and yeah and ends up getting killed and that was the funniest yeah. death for me. <laughs> it was just, yeah. Heck yeah. And then it, it, it follows up with like one of the most serious scenes. Oh my know? God. It's tense, no, go ahead, dude. Was gonna say? Yeah. Like <laughs> I was just like, I, I can't imagine. Well, yeah, I was going to say that, you know, that, that whole like scene of getting the Latino guy caught in the crossfires was like, <laughs> a, I guess a trick, a trick that Jack Flack did or like it's like something from from the game you know from the the <laughs> dice game or whatever right. but man yeah some of these sequences with henry thomas are like legit scary and you got it's it's a very yeah. weird plot where you have mm. a video game maker textronics um putting you know sneaking information on video game cartridges you know these cloak and dagger cartridges that and like only bill Forsythe's character morris kind of gets to you know he has to play the game get to a million and three hundred twenty nine thousand points to kind of <laughs> see what's on the plan yeah, that was funny and then you kind of get the plans and it's like an airplane like it's not even like it yeah. like i guess it's i guess it's supposed to be maybe some high-tech fighter pilot or something but it's like you know, like in seeing it in the 2023 context where U- UFO disclosures like running amok and and we're all learning that our military and maybe other government military have these types of machines that can like blip in and out of 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 you know space and can move around at you know supersonic speeds. It's a little funny to kind of see this like high you know this like um, cartridge with you know, s- supposed top secret material. And it's just like what looks like standard airplane specs. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we, we are in the early days of, of graphics and video games. <laughs> oh, so yeah. The, yeah. the, the movie definitely shows its age. It's very 1984 Dated. and not yeah. in the, um, George Orwell sense. Um, yeah, but, but, uh, but I will say like, it's pretty exciting. I think just to see another video game movie and, and just to kind of get a sense of like, okay, this is what was exciting in 84. You had Atari, you had yeah. the, the cartridges. Right. They didn't quite have Nintendo yet. So that's kind of cool. Mm. And, um, and then, yeah, you have Bill's the, the Bill Forsyth character. It's this kind of nerdy guy with the glasses. They I don't didn't even like, recognize him. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. And and, yeah, and, they, do, and like, they don't like flesh out necessarily like his background, but you can imagine if they made this movie now, he would be a lot grosser. They kind of left that mm. you know ambiguous, which I think I appreciated. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's er- it, yeah. it's early days for for nerds too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I can't remember what year Revenge of the Nerds came out, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's oh, yeah. before oh, yeah. it really falls into that stereotype. 
Um, uh, but yeah, like uh, eighty four also. Dang. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So yeah, what a summer eighty four was. Wow. Man. Um, yeah. yeah. So. So yeah. What what other else was, was I gonna say? Um, yeah. I mean, there's also just like random, like early roles that seems like a cameo. Like, um, did you spot Louis Anderson? Mm. In this movie, oh no, I mi- I missed that. Yeah, he yeah he's one of the the first like cab drivers that Henry Thomas like goes up to nice. to like uh, awesome. ask for a ride to yeah. the to the airport, and he's just like, yeah, how much <laughs> money you got, kid? <laughs> and basically turns him down. Oh, um, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and shout out to the random like bus driver who's like, I gotta follow the rules, kid. <laughs> like. I can't give you a free ride, or every everybody else wants a free ride. You know, oh <laughs> it's like God. man, just give the yeah. kid a ride to the airport. Um, Come on, yeah. Come I on. mean, I will yeah. say just yeah. Overall, I I I do feel like the we the movie's like paced in a weird way. Like you know, mm-hmm. it it will have like these thrilling scenes, but then like the transitions in between are kind of really slow, and I yeah. you know it kind of dragged for me a little bit. You know, when it's not oh, like. Yeah a scene that involves like a bad guy and like the the tension relating to that you know oh yeah um yeah yeah, yeah. maybe yeah. some of the domestic scenes don't quite work yeah and you yeah. know the whole scenes with with Kim like What's she's her doing purpose? her best <laughs> yeah she she's doing her best to kind of be a little bit of a foil to Henry Thomas and to be a buddy but you know it's just like it's underwritten her and her mom are yeah, very underwritten sure. unfortunately yeah and so it's like, yeah, you're kind of left with just, um, yeah, you're, yeah, like you're anticipating the action as opposed to like there, there, there was maybe a potential there to make that those characters a little more dynamic, right? Yeah. So, I, and I don't know if that was the limitations of it having to be a quote unquote kids movie that he had to do that because mm-hmm. um yeah it, it is an outlier in Richard Franklin's filmography too it's the only kids movie he made you know because Road Games is definitely not for kids you know it's it's about mm-hmm. a serial killer yeah. so yeah um nice. uh but yeah like it, I guess that that's the age of the movie that's kind of showing that you know obviously the at this point uh pacing the the way that they they viewed pacing was very different you know like I feel like if this mm-hmm. was made. Even just in the '90s, it would definitely be a lot faster paced, you know. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, just a couple other points that I just wanted to highlight. Um, yeah. I like when you first meet the old folks on the river boat, or sorry, on the yeah. river walk boat. They yeah. think that the um, that Alvarez, you know, that the Latino mm-hmm. henchman, they think he's a pervert for because he's, <laughs> he's trying to get close to the kid. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I like that aspect of it. And then it's pretty gnarly. Once you get to the, all the parking garage stuff, the fact that Henry Thomas oh, yeah. is like rolling around in the trunk with his dead the buddy dead body. Yeah. That's gnarly. Like this is mm. like heavily traumatic stuff that Henry <laughs> yeah. Thomas is going through. Like no wonder he's imagining Jack Flack. And it's just funny that this is like, it's clearly a kid's movie and, and like, they're putting this kid through hell. Like it's, oh yeah, I mean yeah. We were talking about the uh, just after that funny death of, of the henchman Alvarez. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a very serious scene after that because it's like him pointing the gun at uh, who who's that guy the the main like Tektronics guy, um, Rice. 
Yeah, and he's he's making that decision that he's gonna have to shoot him. Yeah, I'm like man, that's like a tough like dilemma for a kid. You know, I mean, it is for an adult too, but like just his age. Yeah, to live with and that, then, and and then Dabney Coleman convinces him to shoot him. Yeah, <laughs> and then also <laughs> sacrifices himself or yeah. an image of himself. Like the wall gets shot up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's like it's dealing with with. So- heavy experiences for this kid i mean you know the it's bonkers yeah his his dad like deliberately crashes the plane to save him you know like okay um, yeah let's get to this ending dude what yeah yeah. so (laughs) you know you get to the airport scene all that's fine and good there's a bomb i guess that's like Mm -hmm. that you can pull some of the triggers out but the bomb is still like active it's like okay like uh, it's all believable and then it's it's kind of exciting when Dabney Coleman like sacrifices himself and lets Henry Thomas out of the window and you see a huge explosion. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and like there's no explanation to how Dabney Coleman uh survives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, maybe it is still part of uh, Henry Thomas's uh, fantasy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> His dad oh. survived. Yeah, it's a you know? twist. Yeah, it's all Yeah, that's yeah, like yeah, what if that's it? Like he's now his dad is now in his imagination like Jack Flack was, you know. <laughs> it's just yeah. Um, But um but yeah, it's so yeah. 80s like the ending is very typical of like we even saw this kind of ending in Mark for Death, just like a mm. quick get let's get the f out of here ending. Right. Like, the the plane escapes. Dabney Coleman is walking, they hug, and it's and we're out. Right. Yeah, and they're all, like, dirty from the explosion. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah uh, just a ra- another random thing I noticed, too, by the way, like, leading up to the airport, you know, when Mr. Osborne, like, drives up in his car. Mm-hmm. Uh, I noticed his license plate. It said NHL 500. Oh. <laughs> yeah, okay. just a random thing. Like not connected to anything at all. Yeah, there's um, no hockey in Texas at this point. Not, I, I doubt. Uh, not yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dallas Stars are still like a decade away. Um, They're still in Minnesota. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, the North Stars. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I mean, so Steve, you know, this is you consider this to be one of your favorites. So uh, does it hold up? It it um, I definitely can see why I liked it. It doesn't mm. hold up to me as like I still love this movie. I'm gonna show it to my kids. Like no, like no, like no, <laughs> right. like n- not gonna happen. But I totally see why I liked it. It's it's a kid adventure. Mm. They're on their own. There's barely any parental supervision. You got walkie talkies. <laughs> they got bus passes. Like like they can get mm. around town. They they also have like agency in a way that like yeah. I think a lot of kids now don't because you don't just get the freedom anymore that you that uh, like our our generation we 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 were given quite a leash at, at you know right depending on your circumstances yeah and where you lived yeah yeah and the range on those walkie talkies is pretty impressive <laughs> yeah it's true yeah and I I would say yeah like um. Had I seen this as a kid, yeah, it totally would have, like, played into my fantasy of, of of how I wanted to play and, you know, being free and, like, imagining the bad guys are out to get you and that you're a spy and, you know, there's this secret that you have to protect. You know, all yeah. of those things, like, I, I would totally play into, you know. Um, but, yeah, I guess yeah. now seeing it as an adult. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I would even say, like, if this wasn't your pick, I... I there's certain points that I probably would have not continued. Sure, no, <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it, Carlo. Thank yeah. you for 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 sticking it out. Um, you know, it's definitely 
comes full circle for me to kind of just mm. be like, okay, I can now put right. this one to bed. Yeah. I see why I liked it. Young Steve, way to go. Mm. But uh, 42-year-old Steve, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I can safely no. say I don't need to watch Cloak and Dagger anymore. Yeah. Although, you know, it, it was enjoyable at times, you know. Mm. And um, Yeah, and like I don't I – don't, have a lot of Dabney Coleman in my repertoire, you know, yeah. in the, in the Smith Cinemonian. So it was kind of cool to kind of get one in there and mm. yeah. And yeah, I think the big takeaway is San, is San Antonio, like it's yeah. an underutilized city for movies. And, um, if someone says, Hey, is there a movie set in San Antonio? I now have an answer. There you go. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good trivia answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, I will also say too, like, I I have to commend them for doing like a kids movie like this because it's 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 something that doesn't get made anymore. Like I, I struggle to even think of like the last like live action kids movie that's like a thriller, you a know, thriller like, style. Yeah, where it's like they're on a big adventure and there's some tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe the the most obvious connection, and maybe this is what we're um, we can get into with wine pairings is. Um, uh, spy kids you know um like but that's that's more like technological and you know the parents are more involved in that one and i you know i've I've heard they're rebooting it which is just crazy the thing and you know it's funny to see like the 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 original spy kids the actors like they're now like parents oh yeah Yeah. totally (laughs) yeah so you know it would have been a great like um i guess tie-in if they're now the parents and they have kids that are the spy kids but um yeah, I guess I would maybe wine pair this with like the wizard in a way mm, where it's yeah. like, yeah, you have kids on on, a, on an adventure, they're doing yeah. their thing, and there's a video game tie-in. You know, like I definitely think part of the reason why I liked it as a kid was you get to see these video, you get to see someone playing video games, right? And there's something about that when you're a kid, it's exciting, and and, and yeah. it's the same thing in the wizard. You know, um, right? Obviously, a lot of that. Yeah, and I mean, I I would definitely, you know, a blind wine pairing for me because I haven't seen it. But, you know, the Dabney Coleman connection plus, you know, it also relates to video games and uncovering a conspiracy. I, I want to see war games, you know, yeah. <laughs> with uh, Matthew Broderick. Like, that's a blind spot for me. So that That's another one that's like Cloak and Dagger. I saw it a long time ago, and I can barely yeah. remember it. So that might be a fun one to kind of dig up maybe next summer. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Uh, that and then also Vision Quest I'm curious about. Oh, cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah, with Matthew Modine. So. Uh, who's also in uh we didn't even mention him he's also in oppenheimer <laughs> so yeah mo deeds yeah. in a lot of stuff man Way yeah go. good for him yeah uh also a good twitter follow he he has a lot of giveaways of his movies signed oh. blu-rays yeah he does signed blu-rays of his gotta, movies so gotta check him yeah out. He's, he's worth a follow all right so any more parting thoughts yeah just the last parting thought was that um unlike barbie this thing has like no social commentary which is like, <laughs> yeah, which refreshing. is like kind of fun to see <laughs> yeah. in a movie, you know. But um, you know, obviously, the theme of the app context. We're in twenty twenty three, where social commentary is just like an inherently a part of stuff. So right. I understand. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. All right, so I guess now we're we're moving on to my pick, a Carlo uh, favorite. Yeah, man. Yeah, it, it, it is a favorite, and um, uh, it's funny that it has a weird tie in with. <laughs> With um, with Oppenheimer in title only, that's with, right. <laughs> uh, its title being he, and this is how they pronounce it in the movie is Hiroshima, that's <laughs> not right. Hiroshima, it's Hiroshima. Hiroshima. And uh, yeah, yeah, 
It's a film from Uruguay, uh, Uruguay, uh, depending on how you pronounce it. Um, directed by um, uh, Pablo Stoll. Um, it's his third film, and um, it, it's funny because nobody talks about this movie for a lot of reasons. One, it's really hard to find. Yeah. Uh, I remember the first time I saw it. Actually, it was on Fandor, and I was so excited because I I I'd seen his previous films with um his uh, partner uh, Juan Pablo Rebella, his creative partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was hyped for this movie, and also just like reading the description of it, I was like, this is totally my jam. Totally. You know, it's like um, it it was being categorized as a a silent musical, which is like yeah. almost like a contradiction. In terms, you know. Oh yeah. And uh, the, the the funny thing about the movie, well, not so funny, but like, um, I guess the 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 circumstances of how it emerged too, and it, it, knowing this too also changes your reading of the film. Is that it came from actually a tragedy, even though it's a very funny movie. Yeah. Um. Uh. So yeah, I mentioned like uh, Pablo Stoll and had this creative partner Juan Pablo Rebella. And they made two really incredible films together. Um, their first film was also a black and white movie, by the way, um, 25 Watts, which is, like, really funny. And the 25 Watts of the title is actually referring to, like, how smart the characters are. So they're kind of dim. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, um, yeah, it's just, like, a classic hangout movie. And then they made, like, an incredible left turn with their second film. They made a film called Whiskey, which was about, like, people who were way older than them. Like, it was actually about... Uh, the the simple premise of it is like this old man who who runs a sock factory and his uh, his brother is visiting from out of town so he asks his like uh, employee like also an elderly woman to like pretend to be his wife while his brother is <laughs> out that's awesome is, is visiting him to just make it seem like he's more successful um yeah and it's like a comedy of manners and you know their specialty was really like this deadpan like comedy style and and um, just knowing like their dynamic of working together, what they said, like, the way they divided it was basically that Pablo Stoll did all the, the comedy stuff. And then uh, Juan Pablo Rebella did all the melancholy stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the tragedy of it really is, you know, with, with uh, Juan Pablo Rebella doing all the melancholy stuff, it was actually something that he was dealing with personally as well. Like he was actually a very depressive guy, mm. and he ended up um, committing suicide. Um, so uh, yeah, it ended their their um, mm-hmm. their partnership. So this movie was kind of Pablo Stoll like recovering from that and trying to basically, I guess, because I mean, you know, you'd be devastated. You made like these two great films, and also, you know, Uruguay is not like a a great filmmaking nation. Sure. You know, it's not known for its cinema. So they these guys were like the toast of that country. And, you know, they were they were even in interviews they were being asked like, you know, um uh like how hard was it to produce a movie in Uruguay? And they, they were like, Yeah, I mean it's just hard to produce anything in this country. You know, because wow. it's it yeah, it's a it's a pretty third world um uh, South American country, you know. So uh yeah, and it's small so they don't exactly have like a bustling economy sure. um uh but yeah so he was devastated so i guess this was his his film to um to kind of deal with with that um with that tragedy and and you know mourning um and he basically <sighs> cast his his brother as the main character 
playing himself, you know. <laughs> his name is also Juan. Uh, he, yeah, Juan Stoll. Um, so, um, yeah, it, there's a funny story he mentioned of, like, how his brother was just generally, like, a quiet guy. Like, uh-huh. he barely talks. So the movie really plays into that, you know. And um, uh, they, they actually said that they might have thought that he was retarded. You know, oh, because he barely sure. talked, you know. Sure. Um, yeah, so, uh, but yeah, he, he builds this movie around him. And, you know, just knowing that, that backstory of of the tragedy, the, the numbness of how, because it's basically just a day in his life. Yeah. But the numbness that he deals with everything, like, it, like it's a guy who's mourning, you know, yeah, like that. that that's makes really a lot it. of sense. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and the, the movie, like, I knew the movie was a winner from the the opening moments you know he he works at this um like i guess it's a bakery mm-hmm. and um so you see him like wrapping up like uh some of the the pastries like i don't know if they're like kind of breadsticks or something like that and um yeah he takes this walk and you follow him through this entire walk and it plays this track and i mean this, this is another amazing thing about the movie the soundtrack is incredible yeah the music man yeah i mean it, it really lives up to being a silent musical so i you know and the the soundtrack is really hard to track down like i, I mean when i looked at the credits i was looking up the artists and a lot of them are local like uruguayan like sure. um artists like the, that opening track is called indu who and uh, it's by a band funnily named called the Relaciones Sexuales. Oh. <laughs> Sexual Relations. Yeah. And it's hard to find it. It's just like, where is this track? Because it's just incredible. And, you know, the purpose of that long shot of him walking is just to go. It goes to show how, how close his workplace is to his house. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it's within walking distance. Yeah. And, you know, the, that, that whole, like, experience of, like, plugging in the headphones, like, um, you know, it's something that I used to do a lot when I was in Manila and in New York, but not yeah. so much now. It's like it, it's it's a weird thing now, like being in car culture, where it's like um, mm-hmm. the music only comes with me in the car on the stereo. But once I leave the car, like the music doesn't continue. You know, yeah. like it ends when I arrive at a place. Totally. You know, uh, but yeah, so it was just like that really spoke to me, like that opening, and then also you know you we have no words so far in the movie and then you you start to piece together what his living situation is that he actually still lives with his family that his mm-hmm. parents and his sister are there and that you realize like the time of day isn't quite established that you realize oh shit it's morning like it's just like d- the break of dawn so he like worked an overnight shift and mm-hmm. he's now just about arriving home they're about to get ready for their day like i think his sister's going to school and uh, the parents are going to work and then he just kind of collapses and, yeah and falls asleep you know and yeah. um cool opening yeah yeah incredible opening and it's just like the this is where you first get to see like how creative the decisions are with the movie cuz the the previous two movies aren't like this stylistic um mm-hmm. there's like a lot of use of jump cuts um which i thought was really inventive and um, I guess another context I should say, like watching the version on Fandor and the, the version that we saw, mm-hmm. um, the the main difference was the version on Fandor I saw was actually like um, all the the title cards were um, in Spanish, and okay. then they were subtitled in English. And the version that we saw, like the title cards are in English, but 
there's no subtitles so there's other parts in it where there's no title cards but it's like words that are in spanish so i was like man i was kind of scrambling but it's a good yeah. thing the the dialogue quote unquote kind of starts yeah, to piece it together totally. for you or you can like add two and two because like they they tie the image with the words mm-hmm. so uh the first thing is that he sees this this form and then there's a letter from their parents and you kind of see like it's like they entered him into some sort of lottery yeah or something and then the, the the first like surreal moment that happens is when he falls asleep like he conks out when he wakes up the tv's on mute which is also hilarious <laughs> he's yeah. watching tv on mute and it's like the the game show like the drawing and his name is being pulled out on the game show yeah you really know cool. yeah <laughs> it's just like yeah it's one of the first like laughs in the movie and then you know when when he he gets up he like sees the whiteboard in the kitchen slash dining room and like it has the task and that's the yeah. first time where it's like yeah you can put it together even you can't read spanish or understand spanish you yeah, can tell fine. yeah because it's like okay one is wash the, the the dishes you know in the sink uh clean up the the dining room table um clean out the um the storage space and then go to the market and sell uh so yeah and that that's exactly the actions that follow but it's just done in a creative way with the jump cut so like once he does every task like everything is erased yeah. Like each task is erased from the whiteboard and I thought that was really well done. And then yeah, he le- it leads him to the yeah, it's a very rambling movie. It's just him like kind of ambling along and you know, it leads him to the marketplace and then um oh, he watches the he he finds like a projector in some old home movies. He watches oh, yeah. that first. Yeah, there's yeah. this whole surreal thing. And then his buddy comes um, oh yeah, and <laughs> that's the first dialogue exchange. <laughs> yeah, and you kind of learn. Oh, he's in a band. Yeah, and and his buddy's coming to pick up some equipment, and they have a show that night. Yeah, and um, so, and so and my first thought was, oh, we're not in Japan, so this isn't Hiroshima. <laughs> yeah, so then my right. thought was, is Hiroshima the name of the band? At this point, right. that, that that that's when that kind of pops yeah. into my head. Yeah, um, and yeah. Right, and then it sets up that plot device that, all right, so we're leading up to a gig in the evening. Right. You know, and yeah. then, you know, another, like, beautiful gag is when he, he starts jamming on the on the guitar randomly, and then he about he's about to lean into the mic to, like, sing, and then yeah. the friend pulls the mic away because they need it for the gig. Yeah, so good. <laughs> so good. Yeah, it's just... And then yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like his friend is doing all the work. He he's just kind of like <laughs> hanging out, you know. Yeah, because he's he's just like this kind of aimless dude who, who who likes to get high, you know. He's yeah. clearly like smoking joints. But people um, love him. It's, it's that weird yeah. thing of like, oh, this is just Juan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he might not be the most helpful or the most whatever, but we love him. Yeah, there's vibe, there's yeah. an inherent charm within him, and yeah, then, you know, totally. So, we we kind of realized too that the because he has that conversation with his friend and is like oh I saw that you you know you um you won something or you know for the lottery yeah and then he was like yeah what's it for and he's like some shitty job yeah <laughs> yeah and then you know so after he he watches the um the film like he he ends up like selling it at the market and then there's that kind of uh, turn there where he's negotiating with the guy and then the guy mentions that line of like um i don't uh i you know movies don't sell well these days yeah you know 
Um, yeah. And then he said, "Is this your your own personal family movies?" And he's like, "No, it, it's another family's <laughs> <laughs> movies. It's not even theirs," which is also hilarious. But yeah. actually, the irony of that it it is actually um, uh, Pablo Stoll's family okay, movies. Cool. Yeah. yeah, it really is him as a kid. Uh, so <laughs> it is yeah. funny. Yeah, um, so I will say, so at this point in the movie, I'm, I'm in, I'm really mm-hmm. enjoying it. Um, but I will say there's a feeling that like each little scene, you know, for instance, like the scene of him walking home, the scene of him um, watching the home videos, they're like stretched like a minute or maybe two mm. minutes longer than I'm used to seeing something right. like this happen. And so there's a little bit of like you, like I, I was starting to get a little antsy. Like wait, like I, I mean, is this it's like is this going to be the whole movie? And then finally it changes, and you're like, okay, I'm good. Yeah, and yeah. So, I and mean, so it, it just kind of establishes that okay, I'm actually in good hands. This the filmmaker right. knows what they're doing. They're maybe stretching me a little further than I want to be, but they're gonna get me to something. And yeah. I think that's what ultimately I think is rewarding in watching a movie like this where it's like, you know, where it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's different. And, and, um, and to be honest, I didn't realize I didn't hear any of the dot that, that there was like no dialogue in the movie yeah. until about like 40 minutes in. Like it yeah, took me yeah, a while there's, there's to a delib- really like snap right. it in. Yeah. <laughs> Cause there's a deliberate gag that makes you realize it and we'll get to it. But um, yeah, yeah I, leading up to it, I just wanted to highlight some of the moments cause it, it really like, it breaks the the golden South Park rule, you know. I, I don't know if you've heard of this, Steve, but like uh, Matt Park, um, was it um, Trey, Trey Parker. Parker and Matt Stone have like this this legendary like hmm. lecture that they give, and it, it's been you know excerpted to death of like just how to structure a story, which uh-huh. is that it's a lot more interesting if you do actions where it's like the leading up to the next action is therefore. Uh, instead of and then, you know, um, it's it's a lot more boring if it's just and then. And I can, you know, I can understand why, you know, you're mentioning like this, the pace being stretched and the fact that it is kind of rambling, that it's just an and uh-huh. then structure. There's not much like consequence to the next thing, mm-hmm. you know, like there's just, a, I guess, another random kind of moment is that you realize he he models for an art class mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah yeah naked and um, and i love like seeing the different like uh each like um student has like his own like style and version of him like one guy like kind of does a oh, cubist yeah. version of him one is more realistic yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that's brilliant like he he also like visits his uh his girlfriend i mean that was like also like a very long shot where it's like um yeah this is his girlfriend on her break and the camera never moves it's just like outside of the hospital she's a mm-hmm. nurse and they listen to an entire track and i i thought that was actually an interesting reveal because i was wondering that the whole time is like what is he listening to and that reveal shows that he's listening to a cd player <laughs> yeah <you know? laughs> totally. and I, yeah I'm, I'm definitely one of like those people who had one of those Walkman oh, yeah. CD, CD oh, yeah. mans, <laughs> totally. and I just remember like just that memory of like having that deep pocket to fit it in, you know, and it being heavy and like you had to get one of those CD players that had the the anti jog, um, yeah, like uh, anti shock, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it it would just be skipping the whole time you move, you yeah. know, it would be skipping. I actually had like a CD player that was also weird that it had that. 
but then it also had like um if you moved it would skip to the next track which is weird <laughs> oh but, yeah so so it was like pretty impractical to have that like um that setting on totally. but yeah it was just that 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 moment you know it's just like okay he's listening to cds and then yeah you even see like this mo- other moment where he's biking around and then the the audio is like kind of cutting in and out of headphones yeah. which is also like a classic problem pre bluetooth totally yeah <laughs> wired headphones wouldn't last i mean i i went through so many like five dollar like sony headphones oh that would God. always break yeah, on me like that sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where, where, where it's like you had to like really be finicky with the input mm. you would kind of like mess with yeah. it like slide it slightly out to get the best kind of connection right or oh yeah yeah and you couldn't bend it in a certain way i mean that was already i was shaking oh, yeah, my head when he wraps it around the cd player i'm like what are you doing dude that's gonna make it worse yeah yeah <laughs> that's funny and then, yeah, you know, he has this encounter with his dad, uh, just a random, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, slow-mo shoving match. So, yeah, have. so so is his dad kind of, like, mad at him for that he's, like, not going to go to the interview? Or, like, wh- why is his dad mad at him? Um, I think it's just, like, a, a dad, like, regular dad issue thing. Sure. Like, okay. I mean, you know, because he yeah. still lives at home. Like I, I, I think it's very important for his parents that he actually gets this job. Right. Um and uh, you know, that so that's really it. I think it's like just trying to push him to, to do because it's kind of like a friendly fight, like they roll on the grass and then the, yeah. they're like, Okay, I'll see you later. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um and yeah, it's it shot like completely like high noon, like them leading up to like walking <laughs> against each other totally. and then, the soundtrack again is great. Like building. I would actually like categorize the soundtrack as kind of like instrumental gr- grunge. Yeah, like yeah. that's what it. It, it's, yeah. it sounds like kind of like Silver Sun pickups at times. Mm. It can go out of tune. You yeah. know, in, in some of the tracks, the tempos are constantly changing. It's very like garage bandy, but it's but it's good at the same time. Mm. You know, it's inter- it's, it's it's definitely interesting, and it's cool to kind of see Uruguay. And to kind of yeah. see all these different spaces, yeah. very urban, but mm-hmm. then Montevideo, yeah, he, yeah, where it's shot mostly. Yeah, yeah, and but but then yeah, it's really cool. You know, after the uh, scene where he's taking the exam, you know, he mm-hmm. hops on the train, and then yeah, he's in like kind of a more um, like coastal farmland. Yeah, it's like yeah. really beautiful yeah. to kind of see that. Yeah. But um, but this yeah. test. Do you think he? So do you think he takes the test or does he leave? He leaves. No, no. I think it's pretty clear. Yeah, because okay, yeah. he, he like asks to go to the bathroom and then he never comes back. That's it. Okay. Like, yeah. 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 I I think he he gets on the train and that's like you know if you we're talking about like uh, plot mechanics that's the inciting incident. It's like him just like deciding to leave and then you know when he ends up in that countryside you're mentioning I'm I'm like thinking. Man, is he gonna make this gig? Like he went out of town, you know. He basically went to yeah, the. Yeah, I start to get nervous. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. There's that tension there, and then like he goes to, which I also find like really amusing. He ends up at that that internet cafe that's also a video rent a DVD rental place, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which you know was commonplace in the Philippines as well. So I love that <laughs> to see a place like that. Totally. And then you know he's like asking, is this. This used to be a bakery, and then you know it's starting to establish that like okay maybe he he used to be from there. He starts like encountering people that he used to know, right? And Old you know friends, this is yeah. the 
yeah, the gag where you finally realize, and I did too, that like, you know, wait, they're just mouthing their dialogue. They're not actually speaking and it's like silent. Because you have the 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 lady with the baby, yeah, um, and the baby is speaking <laughs> totally. And in the subtitled version, his thing is actually subtitled. I remember that too. That, oh, cool. So, it, like, you know, I love that. Also, yeah, that overall, this is one of the things that uh, Pablo Stoll is doing. Like, he's setting up rules to break. You know, yeah. it's just so inventive how he he sets that up. Because also in this sequence, you get like um the play with the size of the the font of the title card mm-hmm. you know when somebody's like calling out to him and at first it's from the distance so the title card is really tiny mm-hmm. and then yeah. it gets larger and larger until like you know the person is right in front of him totally you know and then um yeah we we, we just start to realize that like th- there's a pattern emerging especially when we get to this whole sequence because it seems like he he's wandering aimlessly but he's also like not committing to anything like when that guy he encounters who's like cooking the chicken says, "Hey, can you just stay here and and flip it over?" <laughs> he like leaves. Yeah. And then he encounters a soccer game, which is also an absurd game where uh, he asks like, <laughs> you know, what's the score? And the guy's like, one sixty seven to one sixty five. We're leading. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. It's like, what are you playing up to? And it's like, I don't know. So they're they're playing soccer till eternity. <laughs> They've been playing like all day. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, and when he leaves, I'm definitely mm. nervous at this point. I'm like, oh, he's yeah. not going to get back to turn these chickens over. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So th- there's that, and then he leaves the game because he, like, what he does is, like, I guess the ball goes out of bounds, and then he kicks it back to them, and then he just, like, runs away. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, and then yeah, even just the whole game being played was so absurd because you hear, like, the sounds of, like, the ball getting kicked around and the, the scuffing of the shoes mm. on the pavement, but, like... You know, if you've ever seen like a soccer game, people are shouting at each other all the time. Like they're shouting words, you know, because like everyone's yeah. calling for the pass or, you know, um, you know, calling for a play. Um, so you know, it's never it's, this wordless. You know, it's so funny just to yeah, just to hear their footsteps on the ball and the sound of the, the clinking of you know the, <laughs> of the ball in the net. Yeah, yeah, and then when they awesome. score the celebration, there's no words either. It's just yeah. a title card. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, so uh, he ends up like going to the beach and it looks beautiful. So he takes a dip. He leaves his CD player and his clothes, and then when he comes back from the ocean, it's all gone. Yeah, <laughs> like somebody steals it, and this is like the one of the first promotional images I ever saw of this movie was him walking in his underwear, and I was yeah. like, "What the hell is this?" You know. Totally. Um, and then, yeah, he encounters this girl who um, we're not quite sure if they have a past together, but she's clearly quite into him. Well, and, yeah, you know, well, like I think when he goes and visits the mom mm. that, you know, the woman with the baby, she mentions, mm. have you seen Noe yet? Or oh, yeah. And something. So, so, so it's like it's I'm guessing it's like an ex. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, clearly there's still feelings involved in. You know, this is the part of the movie that kind of, um, uh, you know, it, it it it's not a PG rated film. It it reaches our territory sure. with this. You know, where uh, they they go semi uh, skinny dipping, sure, uh, yeah. in the pool. And initially, you think like that's her house, you know, because she's like, "You want to come back to my place?" Yeah. And then it's only after that you realize because they probably hooked up, even though we don't really see it because they're yeah. lying naked in bed. Um, that uh, it's actually a resort 
that she yeah. works for and that she's setting up tables. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, totally. And then, um, and then, yeah, the again, it's like it's getting dark, and it's like, is he gonna make it to the gig? Like that that was still in the back of my mind. And then there's a, like a foreshadowing part where he starts playing a riff on the piano, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you recognize this, Steve, from from just one viewing, but the riff is actually the song oh. that's played at the end. That's okay. Cool. Yeah. It, I'll yeah, go back so, and watch that. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. And the other thing I forgot to mention about his character is that, you know, his favorite one word response to everything is sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's just like, yeah, but like, he's still noncommittal. So with this girl, he does the same thing again. He like runs away from her. You know? Yeah. Um, and uh yeah he he actually ends up going back to the internet cafe and there's another sight gag where it's like the sign on the door right behind him says that you know they're they're looking to hire <laughs> oh right and then he he gets the job offer and then you know you hear the sound of the train that's going back in town in the background so he's he's kind of like in a rush and then uh-huh. he he gets the job offer and he's like sure you know you can start tomorrow <laughs> like, yeah it's so awesome yeah. <laughs> and you don't know if he's he's actually going to go back um, but then, yeah, so you hear the train and he's on it and it's like, oh shit, he's on his way back. Well, before he hops on it, he flips the chicken over. Uh, he, at least, oh yeah, yeah. He did he that, to, did to, yeah, that. For, his, for his friend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he finally did that. And he also walks past the football game, the soccer yeah. game and they're still playing. <laughs> totally. It's like, it's um, getting dark. Yeah. The whole yeah. So he makes it to the venue. And uh, this is another amazing thing, too, with the sound design I loved. was like it really captures how a, a music venue sounds from the outside when he gets there right. and he sees his friend, right? That, yeah. that kind of booming, like, muffled like, sound. Yeah, you know? where, where it's like you can only hear, like, the bassiest kind of notes. Right. Like, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, it really captured it. And it kind of brought back those feelings for me of, like, the the anxiousness that I have when I attend like live gigs in, in small venues, you know, cause it's like, Oh, you're entering this world. And like, you know, I, I hate waiting, you know, I, I that's yeah. why I also like, don't like openers that much. I just want the act, the main act to go on sure. because it just prolongs the agony. Uh, um, <laughs> totally. But yeah, like, I mean, sometimes, you know, I'm pleasantly surprised some openers are, are great, but, sure. uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, another kind of gag when he sees his friend, it's like, he says, you missed the sound check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, you would think um, he's like a prima donna kind of a guy, but he's just like yeah. this uh, aloof, noncommittal. <laughs> and like, it definitely helps knowing that he's probably been going through something and that maybe that's mm. why everyone's being so forgiving and so understanding right. of him in this movie mm. that he's, you know, he's kind of, yeah, he's just like short-winded. He's just answering sure to everything, but he's going through something and they kind of know it, which is cool. Yeah. And he seems like a guy I've known, you know, like I, I've totally oh, yeah. met people who, who who are like this. And like, you know, they they also might kind of be on the spectrum. So that's also why you give them a little leeway. Sure. You know, <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he I mean, he, he's basically playing himself. Um, so it, it wasn't much of a stretch for him to do what he's doing. And, but it is a great performance, you know, I mean, it's it's not that easy yeah. just to play yourself no <laughs> so but to be able to convey that and like i think stole like made the perfect movie his brother you know pablo Stoll made the perfect movie for him mm-hmm. you know to like for him to really thrive and it, it's it's clearly a one-off you know and you yeah. know i guess we we get to the finale which you oh, know we finally so hear him 
sing. He doesn't speak, but he sings, and the song is Hiroshima. Yeah. yeah. Hiroshima. Yeah, yeah, and the the style that he sings it in is incredible. It's so <laughs> you know? affected. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> it's such a choice to sing in that crazy style. Yeah. Um, it's it's like uh, it's like a it's a very punk rock mm. kind of thing to do, even though it's not a tone you've ever heard before. Right. He's almost like being condescending or something in a way with the mm. with the vocal performance, but it's it's not. It's like it's genuine and it's right. it really hits after not hearing any dialogue in the movie to mm. hear him sing, and just the way it's shot. It's shot. He's coming up on stage. Like he's coming through the crowd and facing the band. Right. And so, and his performance is almost like if you're standing on like the drum kit or something. You know, he's, he's, he's kind of facing, yeah. he's facing away from the audience, but he's facing you yeah, directly. It, yeah. Yeah. And that seems like a very punk rock thing to do to just sure. like turn your back on the audience and perform uh-huh. that way. And like, you know, I mean, it looks like performance art as well, you know? Yeah. Like, and it is interesting that the the shot choice was never to cut to the other side where it's just his back to the audience. It's it's just that. That's the final shot of the movie. And once the song is done, it cuts to black and that's the end, you know. And it's like an 80-minute movie, you know. It's just like um, even yeah, with the perfect. the slow pace, like, yeah, it, it, it just um, it does its job and then it, it leaves, you know. It doesn't dwell um, at the end, you know, there's no like afterwards where you suddenly hear all the characters speaking or or anything like that. It just ends with the song, and that's yeah. that's a lot more powerful. And then yeah, it ends with a dedication to one Pablo Rebella at the really end. Cool. That's what it says to Rebella at the end. That's the yeah. title card. Um, but yeah, that's it, dude. Hiroshima, man. Like I'm again, great wreck. I mm. I really like this movie. I'm glad it's um it was definitely a solid wreck. It's but again, it's like it's hard to recommend it to anyone else unless mm. they know you and they and they can figure yeah, out how to sure. view it because it's a tough one. It's a tough one, I think. To uh, it's a tough one to tell people about. I think right. You know, the, you either have to be down for an interesting movie or get hooked by the idea of a silent musical. I think, <laughs> I mean, the idea of a silent film isn't that popular in a silent and, and musicals, you know, aren't popular in some circles. So it's like, yeah, I can see why it's a stretch, but it's, you know, once you get through the first 10 minutes and kind of get what it is, it's yeah. really easy to sit through 80 minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like also, yeah, um, if you, you have a tendency to like this type of music um that that also helps you know that will carry you through it if you're you're into grunge and instrumental music you know um uh, that definitely helps and but yeah i mean i think the humor also carries it through but yeah it its appeal is is very limited i i can see that but it to me you know i I mean answering my own question that i asked you earlier i i still think it holds up like it really is like yeah this remarkable film and you know in the context of of pablo stoll's career it's just a shame that like this is basically his last movie um i mean he's oh. still working now but he made one more movie after this which was uh, called tres and i saw that in the theater like at a film festival and um it it was terrible like it was just so like anonymous and like kind of a standard like coming of age movie like there was nothing like creative or ingenious like this film like i i mean I almost wish that this would be his default style, 
you know that he made more movies in this style but now he's just like working in tv like a lot of uruguayan <laughs> tv uh serials and uh, he, he he actually was in a, like a Netflix like compilation movie like uh, that was oh. produced by Gabriel Garcia Bernal, but that was like his last major thing okay. that he worked on. Um, uh, so yeah, it's a shame because yeah, I I really do think like there's I mean you know it's something that I'm exploring in my own work that there's so much more to explore in in silent uh, movie approaches, mm-hmm. you know, and not necessarily like you know the Guy Madden style of. Sure. Um, you know, replicating how it was. Um, but like, yeah, making a modern silent movie is, I think, a very interesting challenge for for filmmakers to take because then, yeah, it really makes you focus on on visuals, which is yeah. what film should be first and foremost. Yeah. You know, I feel is like you have to be focusing on the moving image. And you know, there's too many movies that I think, and you know, we just talked about Oppenheimer, but Oppenheimer is one of those movies where it's so dialogue heavy, but it's still also visually interesting Mm -hmm. that it it carries it. But like, there's a lot of movies that just like rely on their dialogue too much. And I mean, I, yeah, this is why I'm bored with most movies is because they're just like shot in, in such flat ways. You know, it's like, I, I, I already know, like I've been doing like a hard drive purge lately, mm-hmm. and uh, man, there's so many movies that I've just been deleting because as I scrabble through them, I just know what type of movie it is based on how it's shot. Yeah, you know, um, I'm just like, yeah, I'm never gonna watch this. Like, this is just gonna bore me. Like, yeah. I don't have time for this. So for a movie yeah. like this, yeah, you know, man. totally. No, it's just like uh, I think the fact that it exists and it's really successful in in how it it does this style. Like, I think there, there's more to to explore with it Um, totally i really yeah like you know going back to even barbie it's visually really interesting but yeah the dot there's like it's overly dialogued Mm. and i almost wonder like yeah could you have thread the needle with like the you know even like a barbie type film where it's like you pull it really back to something like this or 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 have this movie as a go-by right by only hearing the footsteps and the music and the atmosphere your mind is already filling in well what's happening right and you can get a lot simpler of a story that's still poignant um i i don't know if it's capable with barbie because it's like you know you have to there's so many levels you got to go through um to make that movie work but um yeah this movie i guess tying it to cloak and dagger when i think uruguay i'm thinking Hiroshima now which is kind <laughs> yeah, of exactly which is uh, uh I wonder why I wonder what's the what's the ultimate tie-in or like did uh Juan Stoll did his band have a song called Hiroshima yeah and, like did it exist beforehand you know like, yeah. yeah I'm wondering too yeah <laughs> and that that just became the impetus for it yeah. I mean the it's such a that's another thing I guess I want to say about the the finale of the movie is that I hate that the trailers for this film like spoil that like because it's just yeah it's such a huge part and so surprising at the end like um I'm glad I saw it before I ever saw any of the trailers for yeah. this movie but yeah like and this was not spoiled on me this was all yeah, clean that's, score that's watching yeah, which I'm was glad. rad yeah. love it yeah, and I mean, you know, I guess if we want to get into wine pairings, I actually have a lot of wine pairings oh, for this one. Yeah, because I mean, you know, um, I was curious about um, like modern silent films, and you know, I was looking up articles, and it just seems like all, all the articles online are just copying off each other. Like they have oh, all the same movies. Like it's so weird. Like even like they're down to like the guy Madden pick. 
it's so strange because you know oh. Guy Madden has made quite a few silent modern silent movies, but they always pick Brand Upon the Brain for some yeah. reason. And maybe because it's like the most accessible because it's on Criterion. Yeah, uh, it's probably the most but, seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you know, I think uh, even though they're they're part of the same uh, like uh, the body of of um, of work that uh, Madden was making at that time, like the movie that we featured on our last favorites episode, uh, "Cowards Bend the Knee," is a better movie, mm-hmm. and it's more pure in terms of silence because there really isn't any spoken word like. Branded upon the brain, like the whole like uh, kind of hook to that was that it had narration, you know. And like when it when it originally played in theaters, it was actually kind of like a roadshow where it went with different narrators. So depending on which screening you went, like mm. you got like a different narrator in person, by the way. And they also did the sound effects in person, which was awesome. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess you know, as, as a theater experience, Brand Upon the Brain is amazing. And I mean, Criterion did a good job with the disc too, because it's like it includes different voiceover uh, narrations, so you can select who you want. Um, but yeah, it's like yeah. It, I mean, even uh, what is it? Guy Madden's Dracula is incredible, and it's funny how like there's all these Dracula memes coming up uh, recently because of uh, the last voyage of. Uh, the Demeter or whatever. It's like a new Dracula movie. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, but yeah, his his Dracula is amazing. Um, um, but yeah, like actually the the two main ones I want to highlight, um, uh, it, it's, one is so similar in like look and spirit, but it's not completely wordless, but it might as well be, is um, uh, Richard Linklater's first film, not Slacker. But um, it's impossible to learn to plow by reading books. <laughs> Very oh. unwieldy title. But it's also about a guy who who's also kind of wearing like an oversized shirt <laughs> and has a similar haircut, played by Richard Linklater, just wandering around aimlessly. <laughs> That's the entire movie. And, oh. But he's also like, yeah, he's engaging in conversations, but it's so badly recorded, like the sound, that it like you can barely understand it. You know, but it is funny because, like, um, I think Richard Linklater also said, like, all the dialogue in the movie is, like, based on, like, sources that the characters are reading from. So if they're, like, discussing communism, it's actually because, like, the character is reading from a communist book. You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) But, yeah, it's a... I mean, a lot of people hate it because it's just, like, they think it's unwatchable. But I love it. Like, it's a really great, like, first feature for him shot on 8mm Super 8. You know, um, and uh, the other random, I guess, um, uh, wine pairing I have is um, Dillinger's Dead, which is also um, a Criterion movie. Uh, it's, yeah, I think they've only released it on DVD, but it's also another movie that's mostly wordless. Like, I think there's some dialogue, but it, like, takes forever to get to it. So most of the movie, like, M- Michelle Piccoli, like, does a wordless performance. And it, it's a, oh. a lot different more uh, atmosphere. It's more kind of, like, culty like thrillery horror <laughs> yeah um but yeah dillinger's dead is, is fantastic it's also kind of like a one-off type movie you know Tight. um but yeah there we have it our um yeah, yeah our favorites and we also dipped into barbenheimer as well great favorites i actually i i just have a quick wine pairing too um oh yeah go ahead i was thinking of um music videos because it's so oh, musical yeah. So I was thinking of uh, the Smashing Pumpkins video for 1979. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Another, classic video. 
how they're yeah. just driving around and it's got that riff mm. the main riff is very yeah. it, it's electric guitars but it kind of has this mm. that kind of acoustic grungy laid nah, back su- summer vibe hey yeah and um, absolutely uruguay definitely looked warm it's warm now you know here in the, in the mm. summer so yeah let's go let's go some music videos nah, that's yeah. that's a great left field uh wine pairing i feel yeah it's great because oh, it, yeah it is also it also plays like a silent film there is like a story with that video i mean bring back those types of videos that you know right. <laughs> like have some sort of narrative it is right. great and, i mean yeah and it kind of ties into something that you're you've brought up a lot it's just like kind of a little, little bit of like the wandering movie mm. like i wouldn't yeah. say patterson is wandering but you're kind of hanging out with driver yeah. there this one you're you know yeah. again you're, you're hanging out with juan and in the, the the Smashing Pumpkins video, you're just kind of hanging out with that crew as they're driving around, and you're not sure what's going to happen. And there's not really a point, you know. It's just kind of hanging yeah, out, it's hanging out with moments. kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I love like when you know when you go against that rule, that South Park rule of like you can do like an end then type of thing. And I, I yeah. guess having the structure of like a day in a life. Also mm-hmm. helps because yeah, it seems like the the Smashing Pumpkins video is also like just a day, yeah. maybe even like, like an afternoon because it's just like you know right. what happens after they they get out of school. Uh, there's nothing to do in this suburb, like you know the there's all these moments in it that are just so memorable. The mm-hmm. the you know giving the middle finger to your town, yeah, <laughs> moment. Totally. The 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 couple making out in the shower and then people turning on the shower yeah. during the party. I mean the coolest like house party ever with Smashing Pumpkins like performing. Oh my god! Um, yeah, yeah, the fucking around <laughs> in the Seven Eleven and playing bowling with the soda, the liter <laughs> bottles. I know. Yeah, such a fantasy to do all that. Yeah, sure. and then just uh, I think yeah, it was such a revolutionary use of uh, the Snorri cam too. You know that that form of steady cam where like the the actor is wearing it. Oh, you know, right. you get all those shots where it's like super close, like especially when the the dude is in the Seven Eleven and he's like, you know, headbanging, you know, right? Um, That's awesome. And, yeah, drinking a Slurpee, <laughs> like, yeah, the the tire going down the tire on the hill, <laughs> like yeah. that. Yeah, there's all these like great moments. Yeah, it's That's it's amazing. a movie. It re- basically is a movie in itself. That that music video, it's yeah, so who good. Who directed that? What way to go? Um, I think it's a uh, Jonathan. Um, Dayton and Valerie Ferris, who have made like a lot of like oh, legendary cool. music videos. Um, they also made like the um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, a lot of their music videos, like oh, cool. um, yeah. uh, Scar Tissue and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, they're they're great. Um, yeah, and it's that's definitely um, one of the more legendary ones, I'd say. Awesome. I'm happy that all right, y- you knew that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorites. Is uh, yeah, it's definitely oh, cool. one of my all-time favorite music videos well, for sure. Good, well, good pool, um, good pool, yeah. everybody, and good app, Carlo. I can't yeah, believe man. That we did basically four main courses. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's Bar- pretty incredible. Barbie and, o- and Oppenheimer are kind of you know they were appetizers, yeah. no doubt. But uh, I'm happy that we got to them in the summertime. You know, they only came yeah. out last month, and uh, we we got them done, baby. Hell yeah, yeah, and um, I who knows um with our next what what's up next? We haven't really quite planned it out yet, but um, sure. yeah, we're definitely leaning towards that um you know spooky season. So I think uh, yeah, the, those are definitely gonna be um yeah. you know we've already mentioned the Exorcist is on par and uh, um uh, cruising <laughs> as well. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and and I have some recs for you, and I think it's, it's a good opportunity as we enter the fall in October to kind of awesome. fill some horror movie holes. It's yep. all- yeah, it's a great time. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, I, we might have some guests lined up. Uh, cool. We're just, uh, like, uh, working out the, the scheduling and stuff, but, yeah, well, it should be fun. Awesome. Well, in the meantime, Carlo, you can follow us on Twitter and on X at Movie Food Pod. <laughs> Carlos yes. at Carlo Kino with two Ks. I'm Steve Positron. Straight up. You can support the show at our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash movie food. Help us keep the lights on. Once in a while, we'll put up some bonus stuff. You know, we can talk about maybe doing some some bonus content at some yeah, point. Yeah, for sure. But of course, you got to check out Carlo's letterbox. He's got some great reviews. Find out what he's doing at Astrofish, F-I-S-C-H. Oh, hold up. <laughs> I just wanted to pause right there because... Uh, yeah, uh, that's actually been updated. Now my, my Twitter <gasps> handle and my um, my letterbox are consistent. They're both Carlo Kino now with the Ks. Oh, beautiful. Carlo Kino with two Ks. Yeah, because previously um, Letterbox only allowed you to change your username um, if you paid for it. Like if you did like oh, the Patreon God. or the uh, the patron or the, the, what is it, the pro account. The pro, but they the introduced like that you can now change your name once a year. <laughs> like okay. you can do it for a free account. So uh, instead of me starting a new account and like you know like following everybody again like uh, it's easier yeah. for me now yeah. I can change it and now it's consistent. So if you look for Carlo Kino, I mean anywhere online that's basically me. You know, Love there's nobody it. else I think going by yeah. Carlo Kino. So yeah. And you have a yeah. really good letterbox. I'm I'm looking at oh, your thanks. profile. You've you reviewed over 2200 films, 100 Damn. already Damn. this Damn. year. Yeah. You're, you're no, I think I've butt. I've seen that much. That's not how many I've reviewed. Yeah, I think my reviews are are in the hundreds, maybe. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think I've written that much. You, you, you have a nice review of the Equalizer two up. Yeah. So everyone should go <laughs> check out it's that. A, it's one of those snarky joke reviews. I so, love that. But... <laughs> Come on. Um, yeah. And then and then of course you can follow me uh, at my YouTube channel at pit underscore hits where I break down mosh pits and we have a good time. And Carlo, that yep. is it. All right, we made it. Okay. All right, see you guys later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See ya.